Tuesday on an all-new Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I don't usually get a heads up before somebody dies. What do you mean usually? Counselor Buffy is on the job. Most of the problems are weird and tricky. This job's perfect for you. But the students have summoned up a problem they can't handle. That is going on your permanent record. Welcome to the Marinona from Reports, also known as If the Apocalypse Comes, Beat Me. This is a weekly-ish podcast about Buffy the Vampire Slayer, where we take a look at each episode according to its original air date 20 years ago, and this week's episode is Season 7, Episode 4, Help! We'll be talking about the plot, we'll be talking about the characters, and we'll be talking about fate. So, spoilers abound for this episode, every episode before, after the comics, and probably other shows and movies. Podcasts. Always a sign of pretentious inner turmoil. I almost said turmoil. Did I say turmoil? Anyway. Hello! Welcome back. My name is Kelly. I'm here to talk about Buffy with my wonderful co-host, Stacia. Say hello. Hello. And my other co-host, Daniel. Say hello. You have to stick up for yourself, Amanda. You need to show this podcast that you're not going to take any more of this sh- Beat me pod. Uh, any beat me pod. <laughs> really tired of everyone being so insecure. Uh, we're here to talk about Help, written by... Nope, just kidding. Originally aired on October 15th of the year 2002, written by Rebecca Rankershner. This is the six of eight for her. Last was Hellspells. Next will be Potential, which is episode 12 this year. Directed by Rick Rosenthal. Two of only two for him, so this is the last time he'll direct an episode. The last one was Normal Again last year's fun alternative reality episode um so yeah i don't know if i would have clocked because we didn't really get any spookies on this one and i feel like he was such a spooky guy uh in the normal game but maybe this one doesn't really lend itself to that so i i mm-hmm. thought it was like a new director just because like the shots where they're really close in the in the first scene i was like oh that's different we don't see that different, often and yeah. then i looked it up and i was like oh yeah it would be this guy okay i, I like yeah. what he did before and then i got excited and shouldn't have so <laughs> uh the scene where they're standing outside of um philip newton's house with the red like kind of dark room camera that one was that was pretty cool it was a different looking scene but um yeah anyway let's not get ahead of ourselves we need to find out what happened in this episode before we can talk about this episode so stacia why don't you spend the next cool 30 minutes telling me what happened in this episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yep. Um, (laughs) (coughs) At some funeral home in Sunnydale, Buffy's great aunt Hilda lies dead in a casket. The body ready for viewing. Is it actually her aunt? Just read the plot. (sighs) Actually, wait a second. We don't know this lady. (laughs) Uh Why are we here? (laughs) After some funerary artisans turn the lights out and lock up for the night, Buffy, Xander, and Dawn emerge from nearby caskets that they were apparently hiding in for 33 minutes. That means 33 minutes ago they walked into this funeral home, crawled into the caskets, and stayed there unnoticed. We're here because Buffy read in the paper that the dead lady had unusual cuts and contusions on her neck which means she was likely bitten by a vampire. After a brief convo about being stressed out from Willow's return and Buffy's impending first day as a counselor, we find out that Buffy's hunch was right. The now undead lady awakens with a bumpy face and yellow eyes and is promptly staked. It's happening! Buffy's first day as a counselor, not counselor! Except she really is a counselor! It says so on her cubicle wall. She doesn't have her own office, but she has a desk and a nameplate and a computer! Look at our slayer all grown up with an office job. Well, a cubicle job. Hey. 
cue montage of wayward teens seeking Buffy's help, or at least mandatorily being subjected to it. We have a tall girl that beat the shit out of a bully, good for her, a kind of angry guy that doesn't want to talk to Buffy, and Zachary Ty Bryant. You should never trust a guy with that many Ys in his name. (laughs) Uh, Who doesn't seem to have a reason to be here other than checking out Buffy. Cut to Willow and Xander walking in what appears to be a lovely park next to a lake. Willow says she's worried about what will happen when the Big Bad finally reveals itself. She's scared she won't let herself access enough magical power to help in the fight, or, arguably worse, she'll let loose and end up magically cracking her friend's skulls open like coconuts. Xander comes up with a surprisingly apt analogy about hammering a nail because he's construction boy. You see, hammering a nail is all about power versus control. Xander stops and asks Willow if she's sure she's, quote, ready for this. Ready for what? The magic thing. Oh, God, it's a cemetery. (laughs) They're at a cemetery. (laughs) The one that Tara's apparently buried at. Willow walks to Tara's headstone alone and kneels in front of it. She traces the letter of Tara, the the letter, the single letter of of Tara's name. It is kind of just the T. And we have to cut away from the scene because it's so sad. (laughs) It's true. Back in our Buffy counselor montage, it turns out the angry guy is actually just scared because his brother is joining the Marines and he's afraid his brother will get blown up. I mean, that's natural. A boy named Josh pretends to be questioning his sexuality and asks Buffy to go on a date with him so he can know for sure. Don comes in to complain about Buffy to Buffy and then we meet Cassie Newton. (laughs) A girl who says she's going to die next Friday. She says she's not going to kill herself, and she doesn't have all the details. She just knows it's going to happen, and that there will be coins. She also tells Buffy to put a sweater on so her nice shirt doesn't get stained. Buffy, frantic, goes goes to probably not evil Principal Wood and tells him about Cassie. He tells her that kids say all kinds of stuff, and she did everything she was supposed to do. She listened and reported it to him. He says they can search lockers and inform the teachers, but there's not much they can do beyond that. Buffy, finding this answer unacceptable, runs to Principal Wood's desk as hard as she can, throws coffee all over herself, staining her shirt. Just like Cassie said. If she was right about Buffy ruining this $3 white tank top, then she might be right about her own death, too. (laughs) Buffy recruits Dawn to spy on Cassie, hoping to find a way to prevent the prophetic girl's death. And Dawn obliges. In the library, Dawn lurks on Cassie and a boy named Mike talking about tattoos and not going to the winter formal. Cassie then tells Mike she doesn't want to go because it will be lame, but we know it's actually because she's going to die before then. Dawn barges into their conversation with some made-up thing about her pottery class, and Mike, who absolutely fucking hates pottery, bolts from the library. (laughs) I mean, he was like, this was one sentence too many of the one sentence you've said. (laughs) Dawn tries to get Cassie to open up about why she went to see the counselor, Dawn's sister, but Cassie stays tight-lipped. At Scooby HQ, a.k.a. the Summer's residence, everyone is gathered around Willow's laptop. She does some light hacking of the Sunnydale High's database, which seems unnecessary given that Buffy could have presumably legitimately accessed those records from her computer at school. But what is Buffy the Vampire Slayer without the internet crimes, right? They also got Cassie's medical records, HIPAA violation, check. It's been a minute for that one. The weird thing is they pulled that out of a folder like she'd actually gotten a legitimate file. Well, what I wrote was they also hacked into Cassie's medical records, but she said her doctor sent over the medical records. records. I was like, what? So HIPAA violation still stands, but why? Incredible. To Buffy, of all people, who works there six hours a day, (laughs) four days a week. I don't know. I don't know. Um, Willow decides to Google Cassie Newton, a verb so novel in 2002 that Xander assumes it's some kind of sex act, and they discover that Cassie has her own website. 
those lesbians, you just can't trust them. You know what I mean? <laughs> Whatever you're Googling. <laughs> it's full of pitch-perfect teenage poetry and art. Mostly metaphors about dying, but Buffy and Xander are alarmed by this gloomy prose, having never experienced being a goth teenager. But Willow explains that this is what all angsty teens do on the internet. Totally normal stuff. <laughs> I guess everyone is assuming that Cassie is going to be murdered because Dawn enters and confidently says that pottery-hating Mike Helgenberg is the likely soon-to-be murderer. Everyone ignores Dawn, obviously, and instead narrows in on Cassie's father, a drunk with a couple of arrests for some violent adjacent crimes. At Philip Newton's house, Buffy and Xander wait outside the door for Mr. Newton to let them inside, which he does. Two strangers in the middle of the night? Sure, come on in. (laughs) They accuse him of being a child abuser, and then they go... And though the guy does say that Cassie isn't the sharpest apple in the barrel, he does seem to be telling the truth when he says, I don't beat up my daughter. Plus, he only has custody of Cassie one weekend a month, and her death day doesn't line up with his visits. Drunk Daddy Newton is off the suspect list. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) As Buffy and Xander leave the house, Cassie steps out of the shadows like a real creep. She says, it's not him that does it, and again swears that she's not going to kill herself. She tries to convince them she's not a risk cutter by telling them all the things she wants to live for, but she knows she won't get to do them because she's going to die. Buffy asks for more details, anything that could help them save her, but Cassie frustratingly doesn't know anything else. Cut to a bunch of people in red robes circling a fire with a picture of Cassie burning at the center. I'm thinking they might have something to do with her death. <laughs> it's Friday morning, we know, because Principal Wood says TGIF like a loser. <laughs> hey, that's the day Cassie's supposed to die. The tone of this is really upbeat. <laughs> <laughs> you know why I came back to Sunnydale High? To creep me out? Buffy sits at her desk reading a poem on Cassie's website. We get a quick montage of scenes as the poem is read by Cassie in a voiceover. Dawn, Mike, and Cassie laughing at a table during lunch. The Scoobies doing more research. Cassie sitting on her bed in her cool emo kid bedroom writing poetry. Now that it's nighttime and Cassie's number is nearly up, Buffy goes to the school basement to ask Spike if he knows anything, but all Spike does is literally beat himself up for hurting Buffy. In the not-basement part of Sunnydale High, Principal Wood is opening lockers, just like he offered to do earlier in the episode, and Buffy accosts Mike in the hallway. She asks why he isn't in class. Wait a second, WTF, what time is it? It was clearly getting dark, or at least definitely after school in the montage, because Dawn was researching with the scoops and Cassie was at home in her bedroom. Knowing time and continuity, Buffy asks Mike some questions, trying to suss out if he's the Cassie killer. During the interrogation, Principal Wood opens a locker and a bunch of coins come tumbling out. Back in Buffy's cubicle, the kid... Oh my god, it's so long. Back in Buffy's cubicle, the kid with the coin-filled locker is being grilled by the Slayer. He finally tells her that some guys he knows wanted to mess with that suicidal poetry girl. Nice and vague. Hopefully he gave her some more details after we cut away. Don and Cassie walk out of school and Don offers to walk Cassie home, which she declines, and is confusing because Cassie is apparently already in her room writing poetry. Yes. Cassie knows that Dawn was tasked to pretend to be her friend by Buffy, but it's all good because they really are friends now. Isn't that nice? Zachary Ty Bryant, oh, Peter, his name is Peter, comes out of nowhere to be an asshole to Dawn by fake asking her to the winter formal. While distracted by the eldest home improvement boy, Dawn loses sight of Cassie. Cut to the library where those red-robed guys are at it again with the circling and the candles. Oh, look, Peter's one of the robed guys. (laughs) Glad we showed him being a jerk one second ago. Now we don't have to feel bad if he dies. (laughs) Turns out we're doing a bit of a reptile boy redux. Human sacrifice to a demon for power and riches. I put that in my notes. (laughs) Yeah! (laughs) Classic. (laughs) 
Cassie's the human sacrifice, by the way. <laughs> Peter starts his demon-raising spell and holds a cleaver to Cassie's throat, but surprise! Buffy was secretly one of the red-robed guys. She beats up, she beats Peter up a little and gets in some Buffy bants. Yeah, like banters. You know, it's like bants? a British way to say, like, is it banters? Yeah. Have you heard that before? Never. Yeah, bants. Oh, no, it's, it's a real yeah, thing. okay. Rejected by the group. Not rejected by Microsoft Word. She beats up Peter a little and gets in some <laughs> Buffy bants before realizing that the demon Avilas did get raised after all. While Buffy is distracted doing some demon pummeling, Peter goes after Cassie with the cleaver again. But Spike's here now, and he's got that fancy ritual torch that Peter lit earlier. Spike saves Cassie by punching Peter, the human, a lot, and Buffy sets the demon on fire with Spike's torch. The demon lights up like it was covered in gasoline and falls to the ground, burnt to death. Oop, actually not dead yet. Crispy Avilas takes a non-fatal bite out of Peter's neck and then explodes. Now it's probably dead. <laughs> Buffy helps Cassie out of the library as the exit. A crossbow goes off and the bolt flies towards Cassie's face. Buffy catches it in- inches before it makes contact. Buffy is not about to let this girl die. She says, see, you can make a difference. Cassie says, you will. And then her eyes go wide and she collapses. Dead. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I tried so hard. I tried so hard. At Scooby HQ, everyone is real sad about Cassie's death. Buffy says she spoke to Cassie's mom. Turns out their family had a history of heart defects. There's nothing anyone could have done. They all ponder the futility of life in the face of unpreventable death. We end with a shot of Counselor Buffy at her desk, looking through some files, ready to listen to the next kid who needs her, even if she can't help. Right? Is it optimistic or is it sad? We'll never know. We don't know. Thank you for reading that. It was so long. We're just getting started, though. <laughs> the facts are also incredibly long. Everything's so long. Oh, my God. This is why it took her five oh. hours to write the plot. You don't know. Yes. Anyway, thank you for reading that. I think it was rather accurate and humorous, if I might say myself. so myself. Anyway. Wow. wow. <laughs> Fun facts. We actually have a couple of firsts, which becomes rarer and rarer as the time goes on. We're in season seven. Still some firsts are happening. What the hell? Uh, this episode marks the first use of the word Google as a verb on television. I'm pretty sure we've been telling this first since the beginning of the show. But it's actually happening now. <laughs> so It finally happened. I wasn't expecting it. It was amazing. Uh, gosh, you threw off my group. We also have the Sorry. first appearance of the character Amanda, who we will discover is a potential slayer later in this season. Willow visits Tara's grave for the first time. Note, on Tara's headstone, the date of death is 5-7-2002, which is the airing date of Seeing Red in the U.S. Her date of birth is shown as 10-16-80. In this episode, Help aired on 10-15-02, making it plausible that Willow chose what would have been Tara's 22nd birthday to visit her grave. Is that important? I don't know. Buffy, trivia question time! This is for both of you, clearly, because both of you are listening to me right now. Okay, so (gasps) Kathy's... Kathy? Fuck me. Cassie's death is one of only two in the entire show to be from natural causes. Joyce! Wow. You didn't give the man a chance. Well, I don't believe Joyce question. was. I, I mean, aren't these Jeopardy I wouldn't have rules? answered that because it was the monks who did it. Famously. Go back and listen to our episode. <laughs> <laughs> the monk plot. The monkle plot that we'll never um, forget. I just want to note for the record that she fucking put the answers in some sort of goddamn code so that I could not cheat. That's right. This is fair. I'm all about equality. Equity, fairness, that's what we want. Xander treats everyone like an equal. He doesn't look down on people. Hello there, little girl. Even when he should. This is the second time that Buffy has referred to herself as a Buffy the Vampire Slayer in this show. What episode does she say it the first time? Harvest. 
Is a prophecy girl. What did you say? August? The harvest. Oh, the harvest. And you said prophecy girl. So we're thinking early first season. It's not, is it? It's from season three premiere. Anne. I'm Buffy. The vampire slayer and you are? Emma Caulfield does not appear in this episode, nor does credited guest star Beth Skip. The two filmed the scene with Anya attempting to get a woman named Lulu to make a vengeance wish because her boyfriend forgot her birthday, but Anya ends up counseling Lulu into forgiving him instead. The scene was cut from the episode, obviously, because we didn't see it. It's not there. Uh, The book that Cassie is reading in the library is Slaughterhouse-Five by Kurt Vonnegut, in which a character knows when he's going to die and publicly predicts it. However, in the script, Cassie was shown to be reading Franny and Zoe by J.D. Salinger. That book which is actually two separate short stories published together, focuses on siblings, Franny and Zoe, the two youngest members of the Glass family, which was a frequent focus of Salinger's writings. What is it about? I'm about to say. Franny is about Franny Glass, Zoe's sisters, an undergraduate at a small liberal arts college. She, the story takes place in an unnamed college town during Franny's weekend visit to her boyfriend Lane, disenchanted with the selfish, selfishness and inauthenticity she perceives around her. She aims to escape it through spiritual means. Zoe is set shortly after Franny in the Glass family apartment in New York City's Upper East Side. While Franny suffers from a spiritual and existential breakdown in their parents' Manhattan living room, leaving her mother Bessie deeply deeply concerned, Zoe comes to Franny's aid, offering what he thinks is brotherly love, because Zoe is a dude, apparently, understanding and words of sage advice. Was that important? I don't know. I just thought it was interesting that they changed it. Why Rebecca Rand Kirshner chose Franny and Zoe by J.D. Salinger and then why they didn't go with it. Clearly, we're supposed to be like gleaning something about Cassie's character with the book choice, right? It was important for her to name it and then important for them to change it. So me being someone who's never read anything by any of those two authors, do you guys have input on that at all? Yeah, I've read Slaughterhouse-Five. It's like a time travel book? I didn't know it was a time travel book. It's not really a time travel book. It's more of a anti-war, World War II book. I mean, it centers around him being firebombed in Dresden. But basically in that moment, he sort of has these split parallel lives where he sees not only like his death in a train prior to getting to Dresden, but also his life afterwards. And these things are sort of happening simultaneously. This is a great for you, Kelly, because it's one of those um, unreliable narrator things. I mean, oh, the no. book opens by saying this is how it went, more or less. And uh, oh no! And uh, oh, but also Kurt Vonnegut, the writer, is also uh, like a, a narrator as well. So you not only have a narrator, but you have a narrator upon narrator, oh, and you don't Jesus. know who's telling the story. But basically, he gets abducted by aliens. And that's part of it as well. No, and so the aliens are just totally so it goes. They don't care about death and sort of like make him like a I don't know. That's part of his timeline too. So there's a timeline where he gets abducted and has sex with a porn star and has a baby and then goes back to the world and he sort of remembers all these things. And so what you said about him predicting his death, he did at like Wrigley mm-hmm. Field, I think. Like, and then he gets uh he ends up, ends up getting assassinated by a laser gun from one of the aliens because I don't know he knows too much or whatever. I kind of don't remember exactly what. I don't know. She comes back, right? In conversations, right? Yeah, but she's dead. I mean, the but first thing happens to her. She, yeah, she doesn't actually come back. The first so just we, uses her. We don't do anything more with like the time. She's no. not, we never talk yeah. about it. Well, I think that's why whomever wrote this little fact uh, glommed on to the, he predicts that he's going to die because that's what Cassie literally does in the episode. Totally, totally. But um, yeah, I mean, the Franny and Zoe thing, just from reading like the, the summary, it just sounds like, you know, it's a, about a hipster. Uh, in in the 1950s, and like Cassie's kind of a hipster, so like okay, and every all the every kid I mean, likes Catcher in the Rye, Catcher in the Rye. So, I mean that's Salinger too. So it's like, mm. yeah, maybe that's just like hipster upon the hipster, right? I mean everybody maybe. reads Catcher in the Rye, but who reads? Was it 
something that's Franny and Zoe. Franny yeah. and Zoe. Who's, <laughs> fuck. Who knows? I've never read it. Never heard of it. Yeah, I guess it was like two different essays basically published in like the New Yorker or something, and then they just turned into a, a book or like a novella and an essay. Anyway, you're going to read this because I have to read just as long one after this. So please read this. Thank you. CassieNewton.com is no longer a real website. <laughs> Although the domain is available for purchase. But it did actually exist. So we need to pick between demonsdemondemons.com and CassieNewton.com. Uh, I think com is going to be my personal website. I mean, it's a way deeper cut. It's a deeper cut. Demons, Demons, Demons is definitely our actual podcast website. <laughs> okay. Okay. The Buffy production team created a GeoCities blog of sorts as the character of Cassie. Writer Rebecca Rand Kirshner composed the poetry and created the art that appeared on the site. Fan response to Cassie's site was massive, prompting Mutant Enemy to consider making a fake Dawn's Diary site, too. Sadly, this never materialized. Christopher Buchanan, president of Mutant Enemy at the time, said of the website, quote, Well, could we put up a site... Well, could we put up a site not affiliated with the official Buffy site or anything, but just like this is a teenage girl's site and she put up on GeoCities? Very simple. And we didn't really publicize it. There was no link on the Buffy site. It was just kind of something we did for fun. Three of the writers were having a chat on one of the fan sites and mentioned just to check it out. By the time the show aired, some of the fans already knew about it. But five million people saw it and all of a sudden it just went crazy. We've had almost 200,000 hits. I get with alarming frequency things saying, you've exceeded your data transfer limits. For $5, you can have another 500 megabytes. <laughs> oh my god. But it's been a lot of fun. The thing that's been amazing to me is we put a basic guest book on there. I think it allows 50 entries. It has filled up 30 times. We have so many emails. We've been returning the emails in Cassie's voice, and we're 100 behind. It's just been a blast. The thing about it I loved was we did these things like when we registered the domain, we registered it as Cassie Newton. And, of course, the fans are like, we noticed that she lives on 13 Shadow Lane in Sunnydale. That trivia nugget came from the site's Who Is Information, which is an internet record listing that identifies who owns the domain and how to get in contact with them. CassieNewton.com's Who Is showed the admin name was Cassie Newton. Admin address, 13 Shadow Lane, Sunnydale, California, 94086. Admin email, newcassie at yahoo.com. Admin phone, 666-442-8363. That zip code, by the way, is the actual zip for Sunnyvale, California. Is this confirmation? That Sunnydale is Sunnyvale? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, I would say of all the like the art department-y, like, weird one-off things we've had, you know, that were Santa Barbara versus whatever, this was done with the most intention. True. And had the most people from the show on it. So if we're doing Is It Canon, this is a writer who writes for the show. Well, they're all writers. I mean, well, that, that could just be props, though. I mean, we've pulled That's what props I'm saying. on the show. This That's isn't. This is the writer's pick to do this, so it's like, I don't know. About Cassie's poetry, Rebecca Rand Kirshner said, one of the most frightening things about this is tapping back into my high school journals. <laughs> Looking back throws you into all those up apoplectic teenage memories. I didn't crib any of my own poetry, but I did crib my own mentality. Parts of the site can still be accessed via the Wayback Machine. A lot of the images are miss missing, but you can read some of the poems in the guest book, which is like a proto-comment section, is still fully viewable. So if you're itching for a peek into the mind of a Buffy fan circa 2002, definitely check it out. Finally, for our facts, thank God, Willow leaves Pebbles on Tara's headstone, which, if you didn't know, is a nod to her being Jewish. 
Uh, per myjewishlearning.com, the Jewish tradition of leaving stones or pebbles on a grave is an ancient one, and its origins are unclear. It is a custom or tradition rather than a commandment, and over time, many interpretations have been offered for this practice. If you want to know more, or sorry, if you want to know the most common explanations of the pebble-placing tradition, you can head over to myjewishlearning.com, or you can listen to me read them from the site right now if Daniel doesn't cut this part out. There are four common explanations for this custom. One, oh a God. warning to Kohanim. Uh, Ko- Kohanim? Kohanim? A warning to Kohanim. During these times of during the times of the Temple of Jerusalem, Jewish priests, Kohanim, r- became ritually impure if they came within four feet of a corpse. As a result, Jews began marking graves with piles of rocks in order to indicate to passing Kohanim that they should stay back. Two, to keep the soul in this world in the Talmud men. The Talmud mentions that after a person dies, her soul continues to dwell for a while in the grave where she was buried. Putting stones on a grave keeps the soul down in this world, which some people find comforting. Another related interpretation suggests that the stones keep demons and golems from getting into the graves. Three, stones last longer than flowers. Practical. Flowers, though beautiful, will eventually die. A stone will not die and can symbolize the permanence of memory and legacy. Fourth and finally... It might just be a Hebrew pun. Rabbi Simcha Weintraub, rabbinic director of the New York Jewish Healing Center, offered another traditional interpretation. Quote, the Hebrew word for pebble, it's zror. And it happens that the Hebrew word, that this Hebrew word also means bond. When we pray the memorial El Mahavrahamim prayer, and at other times we ask that the deceased be bound up in bond in the bond of life. To zror hahayim. By placing the stone... We show that we have been there and that the individual's memory continues to live on in and through us, end quote. Many people take special care in choosing a stone to put on the grave of a loved one. It may be a stone from a place that was significant to the deceased, a stone that was chosen in an event which, in which the deceased was especially missed, or simply an interesting or attractive rock. Because there is no commandment to fulfill here, placing a stone on a grave is an important opportunity for you to create your own ritual or do things in the way that feels most meaningful to you. There you go. MyJewishLearning.com. Uh, some brave pronunciation right there. That was good. Hey. You just got to go for it. Oh, yeah. No, I wouldn't. I would have I would have fucked that up way more than you probably did. But it was it sounded good. I'll keep I mean, it I in, Kelly. I'm not cutting it. That's great. That's me. Uh, I feel so educated about this show that we're watching. <laughs> and things that mean nothing to this show that we're watching. Uh, Cisha, can you tell me how you feel about this episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, not about rocks? Um, really, my only thoughts about it are about Cassie Newton, who I love fiercely, and I wish she had been a character for a lot longer than one freaking episode. I agree. I think she's great. I think she has a ton of depth. She's, like, instantly mm. lovable, yeah. right? Like, yeah, yeah. she's smart, but has an edge, but, like, is so kind, too she's just like so open and nice to everybody like she immediately takes Don in right and is just like that girl who you don't know just walked up and she's like oh hi Don okay cool uh yeah we had a homework like, she's so nice and for someone who knows she's gonna die so chill mm. how is she so chill anyway any other thought <laughs> first thought no sorry to step on your moment I bought I bought I bite I bought it it was the past tense of bite I bit I bit your moment you did <laughs> did it shit. taste good it was delicious. Okay, anyway, great. Daniel, what did you think about this episode? I have a good, a good, good, the bad, and the ugly. 
So the the okay. bad is actually kind of middling. Uh, the good is I love Cassie. I love the speech at the very end. I love getting to see Buffy do her day job. That's always fun, uh, including the end where we just kind of that quiet moment. I love a quiet end to Buffy and just kind of I like that, like work a day. The next person is coming in. Exactly what you wrote in the script and you read, Stacia. Excellent stuff at the very end. Uh, we get the Google line. Oh, my God. We've been talking about the Google line since, like, season one. So this is mm-hmm. fantastic. Um, and Michelle Trachtenberg crying at the end, obviously, was great. You know, she's a friend because of you. Great stuff at the end. Uh, although Sarah Michelle SMG did not cry. So that was about She didn't get, do it. Yeah, no. Uh, the bad, which is, like, the fine, was Slaughterhouse-Five, which, again, I was, like, more on the nose. But I think it's not really that on the nose because it, it didn't really go anywhere. Um, and then the cryptic stuff, like the the See You Before Dawn stuff, was mm. kind of okay. But, like, it really worked in Restless because it was more dreamy. But did it work here? I don't know. But it is the final season, and we know it's all been made. You know, Joss has said that he wrote it all. So, like, it's all going to kind of pay off. Like, I know what she's kind of alluding to with Spike and with her. So that is nice that she says it because it's kind of – it ends up being true. Uh, the things I did not like here, uh, discounting Dawn completely. How, how many times have we fucking done this? I'm tired of it. So you're going to lose a ton of points for me. Dawn's giving you an answer, better answer than you have. I don't know. You just walk all over her. You could have said, yes, we'll do both. Stop. Dawn's a real person. You can't just let her in and then just walk <laughs> all over. Um, you think that I would be excited about the Munkles, but I'm actually pissed because they're fake Munkles, and I do not fuck with fake munkles um so i really was excited <laughs> oh about the red robed kids yeah yeah <laughs> i, was like, I thought they were about? gonna be munkles and they were fucking children and i'm fu- and it was zachary <laughs> ty bryant to on top of that so i'm fucking livid i hate it um and again i also like cannot overstate that i wish that she kicked zachary ty bryant in the nuts for having too many wives in his name and we left it at that we did not have to have a demon i hate that the show yeah. is just so wedded to this 20 year old idea of like we are a, a monster store show exactly what Josh said we have to do it right no I wish that you just stop doing it because you don't do it on a lot of episodes don't do it just have her kick him in the nuts call the police <laughs> and leave you don't have to actually do the little stupid fight the fight was pathetic it was stupid there's no point to it and the thing just explodes and it bites yeah, I Zachary I mean <laughs> what are we doing and on top of that I just have to say it was kind of a boring episode I mean I really liked Cassie but I was just kind of like I don't know it's very slow very slow good stuff I like Buffy but like I don't know. This one was a weird one coming off of off of all the highs uh, that we've had so far. I, I I will say that the the pacing's probably the downfall of it because like we we while the episode might be slow, we also don't get enough time with Cassie. So it's like make her a character or don't. But I also gave that we are a monster of the week show, so we move them on. But we could also you know we could introduce her, although that throws a wrench in the works because like now we have to make a show where we like you said have a seer character, so that changes the dynamic a lot. So I don't know. Better to love and lost, right? Like at least we had her. She was a cool character. It sucks that she's not. She went on to have a friend. I mean, she lost the friends from episode right? one. She lost Cassie. I mean, gosh, she's. I don't numbers. remember those people's names. What remember. the fuck were their names? <laughs> they didn't matter. <laughs> Who knows, Martha? <laughs> could I could not guess. There's no Rodrigo. Way I, I don't know. I, I don't like know, that. man. I don't know. Uh, I thought that the episode was good. I really enjoyed Cassie. I kind of, you know, after the eighth watching. As Stacia pointed out, while we were watching it for the eighth time, like it's hard to not focus on like the really schlocky, terrible parts because some of it's a little over the top. Like, would they really be friends that fast? And like, I don't know, the fucking demon exploding. Like, all you can do is, is, is focus on that kind of bullshit, right? But and I thought that that kid Mike was really cute. I Me thought too. they had such a great, like, easy breezy kind of relationship that wasn't mm-hmm. weird or gross. Like, he was just like, she is who she is, and I am who I am, and like, it's very very cute. Uh, and also, yeah, the Willow. Will we see Mike again? 
Absolutely fucking not. Uh, but why would we see him again? He wants to date Dom. He hates pottery. He hates pottery. He can't be around Dom. She reminds him of a pottery. Uh, <laughs> she looks like a pot. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and the, the Willow scene was great. I mean, I, you know, being someone who loves Tara, wish that it would have went on forever so we could just dwell in being sad. But I thought it was perfect. I thought we just did it because we needed to do it. And if we had never done it, it might be weird. And then I was it. But the music was great. Everything walking up. Fantastic. And the reveal. I thought the reveal of the cemetery. I was like, oh, we're just having a walk. Up. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's very jarring. Alexander very being jarring. there, too. Like, the, I thought that was a good. Mm-hmm. I thought they were going to go to the top of the bluff I, I, for some reason. And, oh, like, fuck the lake, be, whatever. I thought yeah. they were just going to go back to, like, that spot. Mm-hmm. But Do Tara, some healing. Yeah, Got to do, do some healing. healing. Either way. Right. Yeah. She'll tell you. Someday she'll tell you. Okay. Question time. This is going to be a ride. You're going to have to follow me. Because I had to, uh, what's a, a popular metaphor or analogy for when you make something out of nothing that isn't there? Anyway, moving on. That's where we're going, right back to the beginning. Bullshit. Remember? There you go. It's bullshit. <laughs> All this is bullshit. Just bear with me. <laughs> As the master told us at uh, the top of the season, we get an exchange between Buffy and Xander in the funeral home, right when we open, right? Uh, Xander says, since when do we go to all this effort for one lousy vampire? Make that one lousy potential vampire. And Buffy says, vampire by vampire. It's the only way I know how. And eventually she says, look, I know it's my job and not yours. Also, quick aside, I think the show is intentionally dunking on us for making the littlest bad this year oh, yeah. with all these early season shenanigans. Mm-hmm. What the fuck? It's like, we knew you were going to do that. Vampire, vampire, vampire. All we're talking about, first season shit. You're welcome. Anyway, I guess Reptile Boy was season two, still. Uh, I feel like these two seemingly unimportant lines of dialogue succinctly capture a theme of not only this season, but the entire series. Why do we fight? What does it matter? How can we actually win? And by the end of the season, Buffy will have changed the world forever and provide answers to those questions in the process. But I am getting ahead of myself. So, back to the funeral hole. Funeral home, not funeral hole. That's a different thing. Uh... (laughs) I feel like it wasn't too long ago that Xander was begging to go on patrols to help, to be useful. So why is Xander complaining about going on patrol with Buffy? I mean, I would argue that it's going to the funeral home is better than stalking random fucking cemeteries. Buffy actually did research. She read the paper, which, by the way, when's the last time slash have we ever done that? I don't know. Like To look for clues for help for victims or something. I don't remember ever doing that. Xander says he's been stressed out about Dawn and leaps to it being because of Willow's return, but like... What is he doing in that regard that would stress him out? So my question is, why is Xander pissed that he's on patrol? Or like, ugh, God, Buffy, you're taking up so much of my time, 33 minutes, to fight one stupid vampire. And uh, what's going on in his life that's stressing him out so much? Daniel, what's his fucking deal? I mean, you're right. He shouldn't be complaining. This is obviously better. Um, but I don't know if I have a good answer to why. I, I have, honestly didn't didn't really occur to me. Yeah. Again, I'm oh, trying to get blood from a stone is what I no, felt like. There wasn't a whole lot of like questions I needed. So I was just like, I'm going to extrapolate and go nuts. Uh, Stacia, what in Xander's life, especially because Don brought up the Willow thing, is causing him stress? Do you think that is actually a factor or is he still just hang up, hung up on uh, on Anya? Or maybe or he's just like got a lot of shit going on at work. Oh, God. Yeah, always Buffy in the background. Uh, I think they're all feeling a little stressed about Willow because like, you know, she could destroy the world i guess yeah. she has a bad day um and i mean it sounds like they're real busy at the school building <laughs> building rebuilding drywalling the science hall or whatever they're working on they have all those cobwebs and old furniture to shove in the basement <laughs> 
It's a thankless job. True. All the cobwebs, they gotta God put damn. them up. Uh, do you, is it possible that Xander's comment was more like, it's just one vampire. Don't we have bigger fish to fry? As in, like, he thinks we should be focusing the, the time and energy on fighting the nebulous, like, big, ugly, and damned thing instead of these lowly vamps? Or is he saying, it's just one vampire. What does it matter? There are potentially hundreds of them all over the city. So why bother with this one? It's really convenient. I had to wait 33 minutes. Daniel, is he saying, this vampire's inconvenient. Let's move on to the next one? Or we should be focusing on the big bad, not fighting vampires at all? I don't see Xander wanting to go on a hunt for all the vampires. I mean, I think it could be both. <laughs> But I mean, I think that they've mentioned it multiple times, even like Buffy does about the big bad is coming. So, I mean, you got to believe that they're all keying into that. But they also realize that they're on episode four and we got a long way to go (laughs) before we see that. So we can't get too wrapped up in looking too forward ahead. But I don't see Xander being like, oh, there's hundreds out there. You know, if it wasn't this guy, let's go patrolling after this, because then it'd be like, well, let's just go on an extermination hunt. But like, no, Xander doesn't want to do that. He wants to go back home. And sit. He wants to chill. <laughs> he wants to let the widening widen further. That's what he wants yeah. to do. He's got to be on the site at 8 a.m. That's right. He wanted to kick back and watch the news and drink a beer before he went to bed. And she's fucking up his game. Stacia, do you think Do you think it's there's hundreds of vampires? Why bother with the one that's taking an extra 33 minutes of my life? Or is it, I? why don't we fight the big bad? Why don't we stay home and, and research. I have so many questions and none of them are going to help you answer this question. Thank you. Please. How do, do we my... know it was 33 minutes? Because he looked at his watch and it was like 33 minutes. Okay. Look, I don't mean to be a pain. You seem really nice and I know you're just trying to help, but I'm wasting your time. So what's the different, like what determines whether they wake up in the funeral home or in a graveyard? Because it seems like generally they stock out graveyards for recently mm-hmm. interred corpses, potential vampires, PVs. <laughs> um. So why are they in the funeral home for this one? Also, why does the vampire then actually like awaken and not wait until she's buried and has to dig out of? Mm-hmm. Because the guy that we see later in the season, he also appears to have been like through the whole embalming. Right, and, he's wearing a suit. He's yeah, doing the whole, thing. Mm-hmm. whole funeral thing. Right. So it seems like it could be a similar timeline. Yeah, so that is just going to be a matter of convenience on the part of the writers in the show, I'd imagine. I mean, I guess they just thought it would be cute to have them hiding in coffins, which I get. I wish one of them had accidentally fallen asleep and they had to, like, wake them up. Like, Xander, Xander, get up! Come on! He's like, I had a busy day at the construction site, guys. Um, But this is not the first time we've done this scenario, right? Because in Inca Mummy Girl, I believe we're doing the same thing where they go to a... a funeral home. Yeah, they go I don't think it was but they Inca get... Mummy Girl, but it was yeah. with um, Owen. It was with Owen. It was oh, he never killed a boy in the first day. Like, yeah, they go to them. a morgue. Yeah. 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 Anyways, the other thing is they've never hunted down the big bad. It's always like once they get cornered, they'll fight the big bad. But do mm. they go after the big bad even when they know what the big bad is? Like Angel? No, they don't. Mm. So why would they do that this time <laughs> when they know even less? That's a good point. I mean, they, they have like zero facts. I am kind of annoyed by you bringing up like it's kind of true. Like they could have had a line where the guy was like, "Oh, I thought we could have buried her tonight, but we were not mm-hmm. going to get around to it because they just said everything's good, the shop looks good. See oh, you right, tomorrow." Yeah. You could have said something like, "Oh, you're supposed to bury this lady. You, oh, we didn't get around to it. Ah, we could do it tomorrow morning or something." Then that explains that she would have been buried and the time would have synced up. But otherwise, yeah, why did yeah. she wake up? Why did this happen? Yeah, because I because mean, we'd... she would be in the ground days. It'd be another you know couple hours or days, you know. And we've absolutely, and on purpose, never gave an explicit window of how no. long it takes to turn no, someone. No, that's true. That's so, and it also you bring in the question of, like, embalming, does that fuck up a corpse, too? Clearly like, not. Yeah, yeah, because it seems to be the way that everybody 
uh, becomes a vampire, right? So, yeah, weird shit. Weird shit. I all think around. that cremation might fuck it up, though. That would be one to come back hard to come so back. So maybe from. that's something to consider, you guys, when you're doing your death planning. If you want the to possibility come of coming as back as a vampire, you do not want to cremate yourself. Oh, no, sure. Well, I was thinking, you, would vampires... You don't want to aquamate yourself. In the real world, vampire, you know, like in a true blood scenario where vampires exist, they, they would be like, they've got to be anti-cremation. They've got to be like, oh, yeah. we're going to lose all of our people if you just kill us all, if you just burn um, everyone up, you know? The idea of like... Busybody vampires that are in like HOA associations oh, petitioning Activist to ban yeah. cremation services <laughs> from their cities is hilarious. Well, cremation yeah. was only in Vatican II for you know Catholics. It was against Catholic tradition mm-hmm. to be cremated until the '60s because JFK was so fucked up that they were like, yeah, let's just mm. whatever. You guys can get cremated now. And it, if it wasn't for <laughs> JFK getting fucking murdered and and having you know they couldn't do an open casket for him. They were like, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, they're going to cremate him, and that's fine to get cremated. So it's all just so relative. So I could totally see a world where it's like, bring back those rules to bring back no cremation, because then we have more bodies to become vampires. So, bam. Well, let's write that show. Yeah. Or yeah, just pitch it to people that are making vampire shows. We always shows. need new angles on vampire well, shows. Do, so um, copywriting that one right now. Sorry, guys. This is my show. I keep threatening to watch True Blood. I think we need to. Yeah, we have True a lot of good. shows to watch. It's really good. You can see it this plot good. line happening in True Blood because they do go yeah. into these ideas. So, because mm-hmm. that's the whole thing. It's supposed to be like a realistic take on yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. they're mm-hmm. real people that yeah. exist. Yeah. Regardless of how Xander meant it, I'm curious what you think of Buffy's response. She says, it's my job. Is she just saying, look, man, I'm supposed to slay vampires, and there's one right here, so that's what I'm doing, even if it's annoying. And you didn't have to come because it's my job. Is that what she means? Like, is that why she's saying, you know, it's my job? Just be like, look, I know this isn't your problem. It's my problem. So go if you want to. You decided to come. Sure. I mean, I don't think it took three people to slay this grandma vamp. You did say that while we were watching it. Like, yeah. did you all really need to be there? From beneath you, it devours. It's not the friendliest jingle, is it? It's no, I like Ike or milk. It does a body good. No. Prepare for tangent. Because for me, <laughs> the vampire by vampire comment she made made me think that intentionally or not, Xander may have touched on a sub- sensitive subject for Buffy, the futility of slaying, which we've brought up in the show before. Uh, no, not but just you know not all that often. The biggest thing that comes to my mind is in Gingerbread, right? Okay, so in Gingerbread, Angel says talking to Buffy about him coming back from hell. He's like, "There's not, there's a lot I don't understand, but what I do know is it's important to keep fighting." And I learned that from you. And Buffy says, "But we never." And Angel says, "We never win." And Buffy says, "Not completely." Angel says, we never will. That's not why we fight. We do it because there's things worth fighting for. And then later in that episode, Joyce is getting together all her, like, moo merch in the house, right? And Buffy says, this is a long one. Buffy says, Mom, I hate these people. I hate that these people scared you so much. And I know you're just trying to help, but you have to let me handle this. It's what I do. Joyce, but is it really? I mean, you patrol, you slay, evil pops up, you undo it. And that's great. But is Sunnydale getting any better? Are they running out of vampires? Buffy, I don't think that you run out of. Joyce says, it's not your fault. You don't have a plan. You just react to things. It's bound to be kind of fruitless. Buffy, okay, maybe I don't have a plan. Lord knows I don't have lapel pins. And maybe next time the world is getting sucked into hell, I won't be able to stop it because the anti-hell sucking book isn't on the approved reading list. Joyce, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to put down. Yeah, well, you did. It doesn't matter. I have to go. I have to go on one of my pointless patrols and react to some vampires, if that's all right with Moo. Nice acronym, Mom. So regardless of his intention, to me, Xander's question can be taken as, why bother? 
Why bother with this one vampire? It's just a drop in the bucket. Do you think that's how Buffy heard it? Or was she just hearing him complain? Did she internalize any of that? Well, the, sh- the show, the sh- well, sorry, the show says that. I mean, at the very end when it, when it says, you know, what do, what do we do when you know that? What do you do when you know you can't help? I mean, exactly what you're saying is exactly what they were talking about with Cassie at the very end. Mm-hmm. So it's like, boom. Hmm. It's Na- the theme. Nail hitting the, it's the theme, exactly. And you can say the theme yeah. of the series, episode, or just yeah. kind of like sort of threading throughout uh, what it is to be a slayer. I mean, but that's it, pretty much. So I think that's a really big point of not this, this episode, but this series that I agree to continue uh, that, you know, we ended the episode with that, like you said, the whole thing, whatever. Um, what do you do? What do you, when you know that, when you know that maybe you can't help. So that's the question. I think that, that maybe they weren't intending for it to be that heavy. Maybe I took it like way too far, but I think they set that up at the beginning of the episode offhandedly. And I was just like, that is the whole thing of the episode. That's the whole thing of the show. So answer the question. What do you do when you know you can't help? Stacia, how does Buffy go on? How does one go on? What's the point? <laughs> if you know you can't prevent people's death, if you know you can't help, why keep trying? What are you supposed to do? I think you're right. Sad poetry on the internet. Um, I mean, I, I think that you have to go back to what Cassie said with Buffy when she said, see, one person can make a difference. And then Cassie says, well, you do. And even just because she couldn't save Cassie doesn't mean she hasn't saved people and what she's done has impacted people. So, I mean, you can't win every fight, but you lose 100% of the shots you don't take. You know what I'm saying? Wayne Gretzky. Michael Michael Scott. Scott. (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) you die in 100% of the wars you don't fight in. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. All right. Okay. Maybe okay. If you're Bobby, did you on that one? I didn't. What do, what do you think? What do you do against this knowledge? This brings a little bit to Slaughterhouse Five too. Like the, some of the criticisms of the book is the so it goes. You know, the I mean, it's a it's a book that gets banned often for being you know sort of having anti Christian, anti war, you know, things like that. And one of the, like the pervade people read into it is a nihilistic point of view. You know, what's the point of of doing anything if if all of this is for naught or whatever, but I think that we've talked about Buffy so much and trying to delve into her character. And, you know, again, I think like a religious person could probably see a lot of parallels and the way that she talks and the way that she thinks in, in whatever said principle of, of religion, because a lot of religions deal with like, keep going, keep moving on. But it's hard if from a secular mindset to like, it's true. I mean, if you just look at the data, it's like, what are you really doing? But as Seja said, it's like you, you are saving lives. You are helping people. You got to look at that and not just like vampires are just going to keep coming. So it really just depends on what kind of mindset you have. And I think Buffy like so far is like good this season, but has wavered so much. And I think that's Mm -hmm. the Giles KO where it's like, if he had prepared her better, these philosophical questions he did not prepare this child for, really, because this is the stuff that really, like, I think is going to, like, make or break a, a Slayer. I mean, I, I would be curious to know what a creator would think, but eventually, like, the Slayers, they die so young and stuff, but I wonder if, do they do they question it? Do they ever have time to question it? Because with, you know, time gets wisdom and knowledge, and the more you learn, the more you're going to be different. Like, you're going to be different from 30 to 20, but if you die when you're 25, you're just, the cycle is going to perpetuate forever. And it's like, you're almost creating these characters that are never going to question what they're doing. And now, Mm. because it's almost supposed to be that way. And that's awful. Yeah. 
because they could change it. It could be different. You could see things differently. And I don't know if we're seeing Buffy see things differently or what, or if she's not. Maybe she's totally not seeing things a different way. I don't know. But I think that's such yeah. an interesting thing. That kind of self-awareness I could see being an issue for a thing yeah. that's supposed to be just an instrument of right. your will, which is to stop the bad guys, right? Yeah. What is it? it? In every generation, there is a chosen one. She alone was stealing against the vampires, the demons, and the force of darkness. She is the slayer. I think Dawn has a good kind of take at the end where she's just like, you did it. You listened. You know, you did literally everything you could do. And that's okay. That's good enough. Um, yeah. But obviously, Buffy's going to take that harder. And you uh, bring up a good point about, you know, Giles or uh, Buffy's questioned it before. Maybe it's Giles's fault for not preparing her. But like, remember in the gift, right? She says, I loved Angel so much. I knew I had to kill him. I, I, I knew it then, but I don't think I have that in that me anymore. If Dawn dies, I'm walking away. So like, she's thought about this idea of fate and destiny before and what she owes the world, what she owes other people. So I wanted to ask you again, some really light softball kind of questions. <laughs> uh, you know, do you believe, okay, fate and destiny. I need you to define them for me. This is a new thing for me. What does fate mean? And what does destiny mean? Are they the same thing? Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, I would almost say fate would be like, I, the only way I can see it is like destiny is something that you feel that you're pushing forward into the world. Like you feel like that's your destiny. So you're like it's going individual internal. And then fate is like decided by the gods. So like it's, we're talking about mm. something that you don't have control over. I don't know. That's maybe the only, but otherwise they are kind of synonyms in a way. So I don't know. Yeah. And that's kind of how I've always meant, uh, I've interpreted that they're pretty like much the same thing. Uh, and people use them in, you know, all kinds of works of fiction yeah. to, to, to interchangeably, for sure. But I came across this quote from uh, Paulo uh, Coljo de yeah. Souza. Oh, nope. uh, he's a Brazilian lyricist and novelist. I'm sure you know who he is. He wrote The Alchemist. Uh, yeah. He wrote The Alchemist. Yeah. And a bunch of other books. He's like a very esteemed author. He said, quote, I can control my destiny, but not my fate. Destiny means there are opportunities to turn right or left. But fate is a one-way street. I believe we all have a choice as to whether we fulfill our destiny, but our fate is sealed. And when I read that, I was like, oh, yeah, I guess fate really is more of a synonym to death. People say that, you know, your fate, that's your fate. Your fate is sealed, meaning your end, the your death, the end of this is unchangeable, unwavering. So I, I like that kind of definition where it's like destiny is maybe even like a duty thrust upon you, right? Like like that's what Buffy's situation is, right? She's she can walk away if she chooses. She almost did it in the gift, but her fate, her death is is inescapable. Well, except for when it isn't because her friends bring her back to life. But theoretically, yeah. theoretically, she's going to die and she can't stop that. In fact, that's part of her destiny too is that she must die so the next one can come along. So for her, fate being her death is also wrapped up in the duty of her destiny and everything like that too. So Cassie was fated to die. I mean, Willow, Willow even says that, right? Like, so it was fate, and Xander says, there's, so there's nothing you could do. This is such a big concept for Buffy to have to grapple with, and it, like, how could it not shake her? She must be a master compartmentalizer. We've kind of brought that up a, a couple different times up to, you know, with Willow, right? Like, how do you see her still as your friend and not the slayer like how are you not ready like always gonna doubt her or whatever you just sh shunt it away and then when you have to you do it otherwise she's you know willow my friend but you just turn it on when you have to so i think this is another thing too where it's like buffy's confronted with this thing and we get that really great last shot of her saying i'm gonna choose to 
keep trying. And I think that's the whole angel thing. Why we fight is because there's stuff worth fighting for. You do it because you must. And that's hard to pick to do that every day. Buffy could walk away if she really wanted to. Faith essentially did walk away. She dropped out of society in a way. Like, you know, she's in jail. She's not helping anyone on Central She might be counseling some, some wayward people in jail. <laughs> Who knows? But The sheets above me cool my skin like dirt on a mad woman's grave. I rise into the moonlight white and watch the mirror stare. The pale fish looks back at me. Pale fish will never swim. My skin is milk for no man to drink. My thighs unused, unclenched. This body is not ready yet. But dirt waits for no woman, and coins will buy no time. I hear the chatter of the bugs. It's they alone will feast. Okay, death really is on her brain. I do have a quick round of Reasonable or Ridiculous, which I hope becomes a staple of this show. As outlined, remember, I'm going to give you like a, a question and you have to say if it's reasonable for their characters to have reacted slash feel that way or if it's absolutely ridiculous for them to have reacted or feel that way. Yeah? You good? Stage, I'm going to start with you. Reasonable or ridiculous? Should Buffy feel like she failed? At the end of the episode, she says... Uh, I'm so Don. I'm sorry I failed you in regards to, to Cassie's death because Cassie died. Is it reasonable or ridiculous to feel like she failed? Um, I mean, when your goal is to try to keep someone alive and they die anyways, it feels like you failed, but I don't think that she failed. So I guess it's both reasonable and ridiculous. How dare you, Daniel? <laughs> Her sitting there stewing on all of these prophetic things that she's saying and then believing that, oh, she really did know that she was going to die. That's going to probably mindfuck you a little bit and be like, well, again, fate and this idea of free will and all that kind of shit. Like, it, am I on this path? Am I on a track? Can I stop it? Can I change it? Um, so that's going to mess with her. Um, but in terms of like tonight, yeah, she definitely feels like she failed because she didn't know. Because Cassie's dead. Yeah. yeah. So it's reasonable, I think. But I think it is ridiculous personally, but reasonable for her. Yeah. You came down with both too. All right. Mm-hmm. Come on. I want some hard Takes. Definitive opinions. Come on. All right. Hot take coming. (laughs) Reasonable or ridiculous? Is it weird that Dawn is so broken up about this girl she barely knew and they were friends super quick? Is it reasonable or ridiculous for Dawn to be breaking down over the death of a girl she's known for a week? Stacia, reasonable or ridiculous? Reasonable. Why? Because you're a teenager and your emotions are heightened and you put all this faith in, you know, your sister and all this effort and hope into saving Cassie and imagining what your friendship with her will be like. And then it's all taken away. And Cassie was awesome. Daniel, reasonable or ridiculous? Yeah. Hot take. Reasonable. Because uh, Dawn's an empath. So she feels everything. <laughs> she, she can feel the earth quiver. And she felt the loss of Cassie. She's <laughs> okay. always felt all it right. before. And yeah. She didn't know what it was, but she was feeling her love ever since she was a kid. I mean, one and a half years ago when she was born. She knew that there was a best friend out there, and she met her, and it just was gone. When she was born, oh, two years ago? Two years ago, yep. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You are my friend. I am. She knew Cassie. They were destined. Fated. Fated. Destined. Whatever. (laughs) Oh, God. Fated or destined. Yeah, destined. Yeah, see? Shit, wow. Fuck it. I know. Uh, reasonable or ridiculous should they all be taking this so hard people die all the time on the show and even earlier in the episode Dawn says we all deal with death Stacia should they all be broken up over Cassie 
Yeah, why not? It's sad. She fucking died. So reasonable. Yeah, reasonable. Again, Cassie was awesome. It's hard not to be sad that she's dead. Yeah. Daniel, what do you think? Should think everyone be melting down? Yeah, I think that it's easy to be... Ca- I, th- I like that, that she had that line earlier. We all deal with it. Um, and then obviously seeing her broken up, it's like it's easy in the abstract and then it becomes very real. And I think for Buffy, it's mm-hmm. like, God, this is your first student. You're really fucking up your job straight yeah. up. And like you went to Robin Wood and now Robin Wood's going to be like, bro, what happened? What happened to this girl? What the fuck? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Excellent points. Well, I would say you veered on the side of reasonable for that. Uh, oh, sorry. Of... I do have to answer this. No, I think it's reasonable. Yeah. Yep. Buffy's first like student that she's counseling, or one of the first, that's, that's a great point. And Dawn, in the abstract, that's absolutely true. People think of death as a theoretical thing that might not happen. So, of course, it's easy to like... Yeah. Speak about it one one person removed or like, you know, in a sanitized kind of way, but then when it happens yeah. to you. Yeah, they also save the day all the time. So I'm sure with, with all of them, they're just like, hey, we're going to save the day. It'll be fine. There's no problem. Mm-hmm. And they did. They technically did. They saved the day. They infiltrated the cult. They got Zachary Ty Bryant on the ground. Uh, they got a bit. <laughs> we're good. We did all the things we needed to do. We got the arrow, but it didn't matter, right? So it's like even their superhero-ness that they do every week didn't work, didn't matter, faded. Yeah, it's like your point about them being friends, right? Like you you assume Buffy's going to save her. You assume that it's all going to work out because we're the good guys. We save the day. Like the end of uh, Lie to Me when Giles says, you know, Buffy's like, tell me, you know, lie to me. And he says, the good guys always win. They're always Star Wars and true. And, you know, nothing bad ever happens. No, it's not true. Lastly, reasonable or ridiculous, Buffy doesn't tell Cassie's parents about the fact that she's possibly going to die or kill herself. Now we're taking it for... Cassie telling the truth that she's not going to kill herself, but as far as you know, this is a troubled kid who's possibly threatening to kill herself. Is it reasonable that Buffy kept this from her parents because it was supernatural in a way and there's nothing they could have done? Or is it ridiculous that you wouldn't tell a child, a minor's parents, what's going on? Stacia, what do you think? I don't know about Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but it does seem like the school would have some sort of liability to say Mm. Cassie's made concerning statements to her parents. So I don't know if maybe Buffy didn't do that because you thought Principal Wood was doing that as part of his whole thing. That's possible. It's just poetry on the internet, like Willow said. No big deal. Yeah. Daniel, reasonable or ridiculous that Buffy never said anything to her parents? Uh, I think reasonable. Uh, I mean, this town is fucking broken, and I don't think that the parents <laughs> would have heard anything one way or the other. If you said, hey, your daughter survived the cult killing, they'd be like, that's fine. And you said a heart. Uh, she died of a heart attack? Okay, heart attack. Uh, the rest of it, don't care. <laughs> Doesn't bother me. Just that's normal. It also every day does seem like she's maybe been in therapy and been struggling for a while. Like her grades have slipped and everything. So it's not like this came out of left field three days ago. And like I think the parents would kind of shrug and be like, "Yeah, she's struggling." Mm. Walk yeah. in that bedroom. That bedroom is nuts. It's <laughs> crazy. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, it's fucking awesome. That's very cool. I know, but it's it very cool. But you can but see a parent walk in to... and be like, "Yeah." Ugh. Someone struggling, yeah. Yeah. Because I'm a goth kid. All right. That's all I have for the both of you. I have stuff I have to say now. Please. That I've been noodling on what you were asking about. Yes. Unleash the noodle. Okay. Then, oh, no. <laughs> uh, okay. So you're asking why we fight. And I was thinking about it. And it's like both on like a massive scale and a tiny scale. On the massive scale, even if Buffy managed to kill every vampire that ever existed, vampires were completely you know, demolished from the face of the earth. And then she killed every single demon. And then she literally went to the center of hell and killed evil itself. And everyone (laughs) lived in a utopia and they were happy. Uh They would still die at the end of the day. Like 
in the end, death is her ultimate enemy, I guess. But considering the fact that you can't defeat death, and every person only has, like, so much time before they meet their fate, that it makes sense for Buffy on an individual level to try to help individual people. Like, on a systemic, global level, can she defeat all vampires? No, that's a worthless fight. They'll just keep making more of themselves. Can she impact Cassie's life? Can she impact, you know, the students that she talks to? Can she impact the people that she saves from vampires? Yes. And I'm just thinking, like... If Cassie had died, not immediately after all of this cult bullshit, but a week later, like, sitting in class and still had a heart attack, Mm -hmm. would Buffy have felt like she had failed? Is it just because her natural end came so close to what would have been an unnatural end that Buffy saved her from that it feels like failure? Do you look back at the people that you saved five years ago who died in a car crash later and you Mm -hmm. think, I failed them. I should have prevented the car crash. I don't know that you could make that argument because everyone's going to die at some point. And for Cassie, unfortunately, it was sooner rather than later. And it's kind of interesting for me to think about what this episode would have looked like if there hadn't been roped people. And they had been running around trying to find a supernatural reason, and then Cassie just dies because she's just going to die. And she was right. She's just going to die. There's nothing you can do about it because at the end of the day, everyone's just going to die, and there's nothing you can do about it. But, you know, Buffy has this, like, weird power where she can put that off sometimes. And she did. She did save Cassie from probably a much more awful death having her throat slashed and like eaten by a demon or whatever was supposed to happen. You know what I mean? And even just like those few minutes, she gets a chance to like almost reassure Spike, like she's going to tell you what you need to hear and to tell Buffy, like what you're doing matters before she actually dies, which she wouldn't have had that chance to do if Buffy hadn't been involved and she just died because of the cult. Mm -hmm. My thoughts. No, I think that's uh, an excellent point. I think my one and only addition to that, not really a caveat, is the difference is, and Buffy even says it, I don't usually get a warning when this stuff's about to happen. So I think that, would she still be as invested if there wasn't a supernatural element? Maybe not, because that's outside of her jurisdiction, right? That's outside of her purview as, like, I fight demons. The rest is for human law. We've talked well, about, plenty about God, human law at the end of that. last season. So she could easily be like, well, that's not, I don't know anything about heart defects. Go see a specialist. Bye. Um, but I think that the, the kind of the curse of that knowledge, it, it makes it different for her because it feels like maybe I could do something. So you're absolutely right. All those people that she saved from vampires five years later, they die in a car crash. She's probably not going to beat herself up over that. And we even saw her earlier this season when people were like, you didn't save me. And they were super, supernatural yeah. causes. Like, I got to type my fucking werewolf. And she's like, sorry. <laughs> like, I wasn't. Mom, no, I'm bad. Yeah. So that's why this. That's why I bring this up. Is like, why is she beating herself up? Because this isn't really her fault at all. She did the thing she was supposed to do. So I wonder if just that knowledge. And it has to be that, right? Like. I know you're going to die tomorrow and there is something I can do to stop it and I choose not to is a different question of you were going to die tomorrow from not a supernatural cause. Oh, well, I didn't know ahead of time. I like I think if Buffy in the real world was burdened with the knowledge of somebody's about to die, supernatural or not, would make would feel guilty and compelled to stop right. them if she could, if she had the physical ability. And we would see here. She said, I, you can't help me, but she tried anyway. So I think Buffy has that drive in her. And it was just the knowledge of knowing it was going to happen that was the factor, not necessarily that it was supernatural or not. 
But I think I think you know <laughs> episode one lessons Buffy is like that. Fuck you! I I didn't know. I don't care if it was a werewolf. I couldn't help you. It's not my fault. So yeah. But good points. Good points, other man. You won't be seeing her this Friday then. Not unless my ex-wife gets a personality transplant. Well, let's yell about some stuff. I guess I'll start. I've decided. Uh. But really though, how did how did no one in the funeral home? see these three fucking people come in, crawl into caskets, and just stay there. I get once they're in there, you don't know they're in there, so you don't think anything's amiss. How did you not see these people enter this building? Stacia? That wasn't a question. That was a yell. Um, the funeral <laughs> the funeral home scene did bring up a lot of questions for me as well. One, I'm wondering, how does the funeral home explain why grandma's gone to the family? Oh, like... Even if grandma just turned into a vampire and left, like, how do you just say, like, I just lost, lost your family member? They're gone. They're just gone. I mean, she was there and now she's not. I don't know. We've got some dust here. Maybe. Um, and Good then we got furthermore. Camera, you know, like, hey, we got three kids <laughs> fucking murdered the corpse. <laughs> they murdered the corpse. Ah! Okay. And then uh, furthermore, as Buffy has discussed in a previous episode, turning a vampire turning someone into a vampire isn't that easy. It's like a whole sucking thing. So that means someone specifically made grandma into a vampire. And I want to know who that vampire was. Like, is this like a William the bloody situation? You know, like why, why this, this woman? I don't know. Haunts me. I'm going to also stay in the very first scene as well. This is like the first time we've said the same thing or stay in the same place. (laughs) But for me, it was more of like, caskets being open so like my grandma just passed away and did an open casket but we only saw it from the top so like the top was open but not the Mm -hmm. whole thing was open but in tv it's sort of i've never i've never done an open casket funeral before i don't i don't know if the protocol is open all the way or maybe it's just an age thing or i think it's only half open like if you look at the casket itself the top half is decorated on the top Mm, like it's like got like pillowy Ness yeah. to it, and the bottom side where like the legs are is just kind of flat. Yeah, hmm. interesting. I don't know. Anyways. I mean, they are like divided like that for a reason. Yeah, and I feel like in six feet under and stuff. They I know that's what I keep thinking back yeah. on too. I'm like six feet under. Yeah, TV all the time. It's like you just see them in different ways. I just wonder what the yeah. the actual thing was. Okay, that is going on your permanent record. Wait, this is the counselor. What the hell is she doing here? It, it, it was his idea. Back off. Get back. Get back, you stupid bitch. All right, you're gonna die. Do you know how lame this is? Uh, how fucking old is Zachary Ty Bryant is the only thing I could think this whole time. Because the man looks like he's in his 30s. But I just looked it up. (laughs) He was born in 1981. So he was only... 22. 21, 21. right? Mm. 21 or 22. He does not look great. Sorry. I mean, I don't mean to talk about other people's appearance, but he looks much older. Much older. I am supposed to believe that Willow is so powerful she could literally end the entire world, but she can't, like, open up some sort of mystical phone line to talk to 
to talk to Dara, to talk to Tara from the dead. Dara, dead Tara. Yeah. Oh, oh, no. No. I do not approve this portmanteau. Love it. It's official. It's official. No. You can have Miss Horses. We love Miss Horses, but I do not want Dara energy on this podcast. Or or Giles. I mean, just open a mystical phone line to Giles. It happened. Even. Jesus. When you brought this up while we were watching the episode, because she's like, why can't she just fucking talk to Tara? And I was like, because Tara died a special fucking death that she's not allowed to be resurrected from, that no one's allowed to fucking talk to her about. We just, like, cannot. I'm fucking sorry. I am sorry. Anyway, Daniel. Wow. Uh, Buffy's got a sick work setup. I, I, I appreciate it. She's got a brand new Mac. She's got a cat statue. I know. She's got a frame photo of Joyce, the same one that she has by her bedside, because it's the only it's stock the only photo one. of Joyce. It's the only one. That we've got. Maybe she takes it to and fro. We don't know. Um, there's a tough close-up of Willow in the corner there, in the, in the mm-hmm. left, uh, which I think- Is that was, what that is? I was like, is that a child? No, that's yeah, Willow, that's like Willow. a very close-up of- <laughs> And I was like, they only did this to dispel the rumors that, uh, you know, because we talked about no photos of her on the last episode. So they're right, like, yeah. oh yeah, but they're all at work. Don't worry. But not really. Uh, <laughs> she has one of those little squish balls that I love, those Nerf squish balls. Uh, she's got some mm-hmm. white out next to her table. She also has postcards, generic postcards. Like, on, Is that what those are? Yeah, I was trying to see what they are, but they look like, yeah, different. I mean, they kind of look like postcards. They got like little art mm. stuff. One of them looks like a, a tree by the ocean. So I think that they're just postcards. Uh, they were like, ah, whatever, put it on there. And then later when the guy with the Marines was talking, who's a black character, um, she also has a, a book in front of her that says IQ testing, which is, you know, not a good look 20 years ago. Not a good look <laughs> today. So tough stuff, tough stuff. That with her hood comment. Oh, Oof. no. Yeah, oh, no. Talk like that is taken pretty seriously where I come from. The hood? Beverly Hills. Oh, yeah. Did Buffy, or sorry, did Dawn just go to Buffy's office to dunk on her? Like, what the fuck was that about? I mean, incredible. I loved every second of it. But, like, was she told to report to Buffy? Or was she like, I've got a free period. I'm going to go just, like, rail at my sister to her face for no reason. I hope so. <laughs> it's just like the choice. I appreciate it. Genuinely I respect hilarious. it. I mean, could you imagine sitting down and being like, it is your job to listen to me and my family issues. So here we go. <laughs> my sister's the worst. <laughs> it sounds like it's difficult for you. Like maybe your sister makes it hard for you to establish your own identity. You said she's controlling. She doesn't let you make your own decisions. Yeah. And she borrows my clothes without asking. I understand. That must be hard. Okay, so I love Cassie, but she's got terrible taste in fashion. She tries to change the subject with Buffy when she says, I really like that shirt. Where'd you get it? It's a fucking white tank top. It is. It's the most basic ass shirt you could possibly wear. That sounds like it's it's 10 bucks for five of them in a package. I will say, in the script, Rebecca Rand Kirshner, there's a line where Cassie, when she follows up, and she says, it's a great color on you. So I think what happened was Cynthia Bergstrom, who was the costume designer, did this scene a disservice. She was like, I don't care what the script says. I'm putting her in what I want to put her in. And what I want to put her in is a $3 tank top because we're about to destroy it with coffee. So you can have your little lines, do whatever you want, but I'm putting her in a white tank top. And uh, they had to re- take that color line out because that line is actually not in the show. I wrote it down in my plot description. I was like, the one that Cassie said was a great color on her, it's fucking white. And I was like, oh, she doesn't say that. That's only in the script. So yeah, Cynthia Bergstrom is to blame for Cassie's terrible taste in fashion anyway also she loves the fucking white stripes she wears two white stripe shirts name three songs by the white stripes seven nation army i'm out <laughs> uh damn oh uh 
Uh, I'm sad about – well, not sad. I'm actually enthused about the widening, but also sad for him about the widening in general. But I got to say the 2000s fashions do not help our boy Xander at all. Like his pants are enormous. The shirt is enormous. <laughs> Everything makes you look enormous. He's so just like, wearing a handkerchief. Like, where did he get that? I, it is like a bandana print yeah. shirt, but no shirt. It's tough. The widening. It's real. Dawn meets a new person, and she's like, hey, what'd you talk about in therapy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's only three years old, okay? She, she doesn't understand our social norms. I know. <laughs> Brazen. Love her. Stacia. Um... I feel like we really got a peek into the inner psyche of Willow as a teenager. Like, I had no idea she had a thing for Doogie Hauser. Oh, and as fate, destiny, whatever would have it, she ends up on a show with Neil Patrick Harris. What are the odds? <gasps> That's true. I didn't even think about that. Thanks, Kelly. She hasn't Still. met my mother. Oh, though. sorry. I'm sorry. That's no, okay. She what? <laughs> Nothing. What did she say? It's <laughs> on tape, so it's going in. So you might as well just tell me. I didn't out. hear what you guys said. I was talking over you. I'm sorry. I said she hasn't met my mother, though. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I don't know why right. I said that. Okay. <laughs> okay. <Daniel? laughs> I think this thing has a freaking child lock on it. There's a new school sticker alert. We have not seen stickers in a long time. Uh, Dawn is going into her uh, her locker, and we see a new Sunnydale Razorbacks sticker inexplicably on the outside of this locker. You think that mm. they would be pissed about this light vandalism because like before it felt a lot more chaotic back in the day but obviously this is a new school so we're just getting the hang of it um there's an oam which i guess it stands for on a mission which oh. is a surfing company huh. i did not know this but it is a surfing company it's still real you can buy stuff to this day uh devil doll has performed yes, on this show before four, i think uh buffy the vampire yep. harsh light of day apparently i had to look it up you probably knew that, Kelly. You're probably a big no, fan. I, I've never listened to the know. band, but yeah, I did see in my research that they did perform the show before. And then the, there's, I assume, a band. I assume it's a punk band based on the aesthetic uh, mm. called Intention, uh, spelled wrong with an S-I-O-N, and doesn't exist. I cannot uh-huh. find a single thing about uh, Intention spelled that way, Buffy the Vampire, anything. So I have no clue what that is. Uh, maybe it's just like a local yeah. band that fizzled out or – probably. You know, who knows? But anyways, new stickers. Let's go. We'll keep it. Yeah, eye no out more just stickers, so. widespread panic over and over and over. Street cheese incident over and over, know, and, over. and over. Did we all just forget about Malcolm? Did we all just forget that people do weird shit on the internet when mm. Willow's talking about I used to write mm. Doogie Howser fanfic? I was like, Yeah, also got catfished by a fucking demon, Willow. Like weird shit happens on the internet. Let's give Cassie Newton a break, shall we? Also, in that scene, Willow it has an up to the minute pop culture reference when she says precogs is Cassie a precog so that's a reference to fucking Minority Dude. Report I'm like when did you see that did you watch that in England when you're I hanging know. out with Miss Horseness you're supposed to be studying Willow come on <laughs> god damn they don't let horses yeah, that's, in the what? theater no it's England it's not a zoo do they even have theaters in England we still haven't confirmed they have phones we actually didn't go to a movie there we can't confirm they don't have phones cannot confirm alright so what I'm saying is Willow didn't see Minority Report this was out of character Maybe she sucked up the script of Minority Report with all those dark books <laughs> in the last season. <laughs> <laughs> it was up at the, the, the fucking loft of the Magic Box yeah. for some reason. <laughs> what? They're close to Hollywood? Who knows? She just saw it on SNL and was like, I'm going to try this and hopefully it just goes over. And she's like, <laughs> they're dumber than me. So like, I'm going to get away with this. But oh, I yeah, because they're not going to question it. They're going to think it's a real word and they're not yeah. going to question me. 
Because they have not seen Minority Report. I Definitely. promise you that. Uh, my last thing is, I really want to know what the um, demon at the end was made out of, because, man, that thing went up in flames immediately. Oof. Amazing. I can only think he was made out of... Gasoline? Gas and matches. <laughs> dry, dry <laughs> tinder. <laughs> Very dry. The driest tinder. <laughs> uh I love yeah with the whole fanfic thing. I just love Willow uh, just being like love poems or whatever. It's like I'm I'm over you now, sweetie. That was really <laughs> funny. And and just even Xander just being like love poems. I just laughed. That was so funny. And just Willow, the way Willow's like looking at him, just like she's like, what the fuck is because she wouldn't know any of that, right? That's way before her time. Yeah, just the way she's like, what the hell? What's going on here? Anyways, it was adorable. I really appreciated that. Way before whose time? Oh, Buffy. Oh, yeah, yeah, Dawn's yeah. Time. Dawn's oh, time. Oh, Dawn's time. Yeah, Dawn's only Dawn wouldn't know, yeah, right? Dawn doesn't know about the rebar and about You don't know what the monks put in the... her head. That's right, yeah. That's true. What did the monks know? Maybe the monks were there that night. But the monks are internet savvy. Maybe. Is it Cordelia a god? Maybe she's like in with the monks and like- Oh, shit. You know, spreading that Maybe. knowledge. I don't know. But yeah, did they put the knowledge of, of the, uh, what do they call it? The fluke? The clothes fluke in Dawn's head? I don't know. I don't know if I they would. Know. The rebar man, you see, the things you forget. It's nice when you bring yeah. stuff up. Poor Cordelia. Yeah. Poor Cordelia. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sharp apples sound awful. I gotta say. Um, what? <laughs> he's like, Cassie's not the sharpest apple in the barrel. <laughs> I was like, what oh. the fuck? I know we mixing metaphors is funny or whatever, but goddamn, that one's rough. And did you catch the ADR when Spike is talking or Buffy's talking to Spike, and she's like? We're having a normal conversation because it was filmed at the same time. And then out of nowhere, it's Friday, the day Cassie said she was going to die. I was mm. like, what in the fuck? I did not get it. <laughs> oh, it was really jarring. So jarring. That's and also, a- given how fucked up the time was, I was like, oh, I don't think this was edited in the way that it was intended to be like put together. Because I'm not crazy, right? They did show that it was night and then go back to the school. What the fuck was that? Anyway. Oh, I like that screenshot. Do you, did you notice that the ta- the uh, chair had duct tape on it? I thought that was such a good touch. Oh. Uh, I, I really hate the cliche of people pouring over documents over food and especially greasy pizza boxes, mm-hmm. but they really, really commit to this. Now, this one hurts me the most because it's Willow doing it. Um, <laughs> she should know better. Willow being the culprit sucks because she has a pizza slice next to her on a plate, like a normal person. Now, you can claim that that's Buffy's plate of pizza. But I would say who in their right mind would impede their reach of the pizza with a large cup in the way? And you would tell me (laughs) Buffy would do that. And I would say, sure, I think you're right. (laughs) Buffy would do that. But for anything but pizza, because I can't go that far. I can't believe that Buffy would impede pizza getting to her mouth. So I got to believe it's Willow who's eating a slice of pizza and using it to place her documents onto the pizza. And I'm really disappointed in, in Willow. And also, look at the chair; it has duct tape. I think, <laughs> I think we know what. I think we have already determined what the answer to this whole conundrum is. Yes, please. time is money. Money is pizza. Pizza money. is knowledge. <laughs> All oh, Willow is doing God. is trying to get time is money. Money is power. Power is pizza. There pizza is knowledge. Come on, let's go. Whatever. <laughs> Anyways, it all comes back around. Willow is just trying to gain knowledge by that's being true. near that's the true. pizza. That is She's so egregious. I'm glad that you paused that. I did not. They literally have all their shit on top of the pizza box. That it's a cliche. It's it, it, it shows always do that shit. It drives me crazy. It's no like, one in the are... history of the world has done that. 
you guys have a kitchen next door. Just put it. You have a plate. It's even worse because you put a piece of pizza on the plate. No one else has a plate. Pizza is knowledge. Everyone else is grabbing. Pizza is knowledge. Pizza is knowledge. The other food trope that always kind of like it doesn't. It can't not happen. This, I feel like no one in their right mind has done. But every time somebody orders, like, Chinese takeout in a TV show, they're always eating it directly out of the takeout. They're, like, those, um, you know, kind of cube takeout boxes. So you know it's Chinese takeout. But I was like, who doesn't put that shit on the plate so you can get the rice and the entree? I mean, again, if you're in a world where you're just eating, like, lo mein, you just have your one noodle dish, maybe. Maybe. Otherwise... It tells you that you're a New Yorker, Kelly. I, you're a New Yorker. I fucking guess. You could keep your cool Greek coffee cups and your fake Chinese takeout. You can, sa- you can save it, New York. In open pizza boxes. In your open pizza boxes. God. Yeah, we're West Coasters. Fuck you, New York. <laughs> Did you get a picture of the extras coming out of the school at the towards the end of the episode when Cassie and Don are coming in? No. They are all so old. They are oh, really? so old. Like, there's clearly someone with, like, a super receding hairline who's hold like, a, a dude and who's holding hand with a woman that's definitely in her 40s. Oh, I was like, what is happening? We are not <laughs> in Sunnydale anymore, guys. Oh, Rough. Man. Anyway, yeah, Daniel. Uh, Mike got a B on his test, um, his Egyptian test. I'm going to get into Just it like Cassie said. Uh, just like Cassie. Ta- right. She is a, she's clairvoyant. She knows. Um, however, what's most egregious is this boy and his knowledge of fucking Egypt. So... I don't want to talk on him too hard because he got to be good job. Uh, he knows that Egypt is in northern Africa. He knows the capital is Cairo. He knows inexplicably that natural gas is not a resource. This is all multiple choice. He knows that natural gas is not a natural resource of the country, but he does not know that Christianity, he, he, he guessed that Christianity was the most prominent religion of mm. Egypt. Now, there is sizable Christian popula- you know, population there, but not as big mm. as Islam. Like, what are we doing here? What did you learn? Mike, well, you're so interested in natural gas, my guy. He needs to get in, get into STEM here. He's not paying attention to the culture here. Or maybe he's he all about the gas. Was leaning into his baser instincts. He was like, "Gas, that's funny because farts." I know, that. right? And he got it right. He just happened to get it right. Until Nuts. this moment, it never occurred to me that you could be tested on modern Egypt. I was like, <laughs> "What are we talking about? Natural gas? Like, where are that's the questions about point. mummies? Like, what are we right. doing?" Right. <laughs> That's what we're here for. Pyramids. When were the pyramids done? Right. Done. Egypt's still a country. <laughs> <laughs> Not in my world. <laughs> I. You got to applaud the art department. That's a fucking test, and it is filled out. Test. Cannot believe. We just came from the Demons, 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 Laura Mipsum text. Someone yeah. went through the trouble. Maybe somebody- And all the website's good. The website's legit as well. Yep. Uh, yeah. The, yep. CassieNewton.com. CassieNewton.com. Well, no, and also the Sunnydale online as well. Was oh, really? exactly what she said. Daniel, Blue Oyster Cult, would you classify yeah. them as heavy metal? Absolutely not. So uh, that right? was egregious and I think really tells you that Buffy has no fucking business talking about music or having a personality. Yeah. That's tough. Yeah. I mean, they're they're a rock band, sure, but like heavy metal, they were, I mean, heavy metal wasn't even really a concept until like I mean, the new Fear wave the of British heavy metal. Yeah, Fear, Fear the, the Reaper, Reaper yeah. right? I mean, that's, that's, they have I the, think another... that's the only thing there going on but. yeah but they have that other one song hang on um i guess that's really it man yeah looking at the other ones there's no no one's that you want there to be it. a second but yeah you do i mean the records are probably good back in the day you know it's one i bet they're fine things. and just to go back to the website stuff i mean the website is legit sunnydale high school online services you can see and buffy even mentions it when she says the very first sentence here for the staff reports subjects apathy and depression would not over oh, yeah. would not be overly remarkable if not for extreme change in attitude of earlier reports. So again, why are they having earlier reports? What's going on here? 
Um, why can't we see them? Who's writing this paragraph? Is this like a guidance counselor writing this? Because it's very strange all around. But like, it's real. Like they actually wrote the whole thing. Grades steady. Grades are steady, then steadily decline. Outstanding attendance evolves into above average absenteeism. Mm. You know, so it's like they really wrote it, and they really made her um, her academic record as well. Like, I mean, what they were saying was, oh, tardy, not there, whatever, whatever. Mm. You know, all that stuff is wow. real. She's failing. I don't know athletics. I don't know. She's uh, doing okay in chemistry. She's American history D plus. She D likes English. French, not great. She likes English B minus. Not Where's that, which makes sense. Where's fucking ceramics? Right? She's doing her poetry. So yeah, it's not on there. Mm. So, anyways, they, they you know you're right you, from the demons, demons, demons fake text. This was a you know step up that they didn't really need to do. They didn't create a fake website for Sunnydale.edu or .org or whatever. Unlike CassieNewton.com, they just leave it blank up there so you don't know what the website is for, for Sunnydale. But they did go through the fucking motions of making the... I know. That's great. And Look it's like that. on the side looks great. It looks real. Student database. Like that's yeah. something you would see. Discipline, transfer, you know. Wow. Look at you, show. What the growth. The growth from episode to episode. Who would have thought it? I would not have... Um, that cleaver that Zachary Ty Bryan has is fucking extreme. I mean, I don't think we needed that. Who doesn't love a ritual dagger? Go with the classics, you nutbag. And also, nutbag. Nutbag is what I said. Uh, and on that cleaver, it said the word Dexter. I don't know if that's a bl- brand of uh, kitchen knives, but I was like, oh shit. Oh shit. Buffy foretells Dexter. <laughs> on the nose here. We can't do that. We can't be doing that. Uh, what's up with uh, this straight up? You know, what's up with the coins falling out? How do you not secure your coins, my dude? Straight up, secure your coins. That's How lesson you one. And coins? bad guys cool. How, why? Why would they even be loose? Why are your coins loose? Straight up. Oh man, no one likes to lose coins. Okay, so Spike right punches the shit out of Zachary Ty Bryant. What is his name in Home Improvement? Um, Brad. Brad. Yeah, you're totally right, Brad. He punches the shit out of Brad, and. He, he seems to be in pain when he does it. I know we had a question in Beneath You, right, when he, he uh, accidentally stabs Ronnie. And it was oh, like, yeah, yeah. he was like expecting to be in pain, but then it didn't look like he really was. And in this one, he seems to be in pain, but keeps punching him in the face anyway. So what do you, what's your read on Spike's chip at this moment? What do you think? I think it's still... Still working. Uh, you said the same thing in Beneath You, that like you thought it was still working anyway, that that didn't... I mean, he shows you. that it hurt him to hit him in this episode. Yeah. And even Ronnie, like, I mean, there, there was that, like, flinch. I think you can read it a certain way, but I think it could also be, like, that he was, in, you know, pained by it. Maybe mm-hmm. not in the same way where he's like, ah, you know, yeah. he didn't do that, but he could still be, he could still be hurt by it. Uh, also, the, yeah, that's probably, I guess that's it. But uh, did you feel like, I guess I'm only thinking of it because Joss brought it up in the commentary for lessons, but... I feel like maybe Rebecca Rand Kirshner was not up to the task of writing crazy, or maybe we intentionally went in a different direction because Spike went from crazy guy to caveman guy. Don't hurt the girl. The like that kind of thing. Did you notice that at all? Mm-hmm. Did, it, did it seem weird? Did it seem like a switch? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely a switch, but I think okay. it just wasn't a Spike heavy episode. You know That's what are you going to do? Yeah, and he did. I mean, like explain it away. Yeah, like I if I just think, like I don't, don't think do. if I stay really yeah. still. So maybe he's just like, I'm gonna use you know like Kevin in the office where he's like, me want the, whatever, save time, only use exactly. small word. Right. right. <laughs> uh, okay. Yes, Daniel. Do you really think this girl is some kind of precog? This one's gonna be a little bit long, but um, Mike 
is holding for his Egyptian class, which I, I did laugh about later, because he is holding, again, he could have two classes, I realize this, but he is holding a book called Land of the Free, uh, A History of the United States, a textbook from 1966. Now, I know this textbook because it's pretty famous for the reaction that people had to it back in the day where people freaked the fuck out, kind of the way that people are freaking the fuck out right now. So I would say that this is sort of a standardized history the way that we kind of understand it, you know, the three of us, um, de-emphasizing war, military, emphasizing people like W.E.B. Du Bois, Frederick mm-hmm. Douglass, you know, people like that. So that's the controversy of the of this Textbook was doing things like that, talking about the civil rights movement in a positive way, uh, mentioning Native peoples as real people. Um, but of course, you know, these fuckers had kids and grandkids who are currently trying to turn that shit around all over again. So like this story of this, and even with Slaughterhouse-Five being a banned book, it's weird how this all sort of ties together in, in a way. Um, just like you shouted out that website before for the Stones, I'm going to shout out a, a website called avocado.org. Hmm. Never heard of it strange place to find yourself in, but they have an amazing write-up about this whole thing. So it'll be in the show notes uh, as well as what you brought up before. Uh, But a Pasadena group uh, back in 1966 called the Land of the Free Committee attacked this book by citing... By, by writing that it, quote, destroys pride in America's past, develops a guilt complex, mocks American justice, indoctrinates towards communism, is hostile to religious concepts, over en- overemphasizes Negro participation in American history, and promotes propaganda and poppycock. <laughs> Incredible Such stuff. strong language. Incredible stuff. And and just to, to note, this book is, is written by, you know, pretty widely still respected authors, um, uh, John Walton Coffey and the great John Hope Franklin. Um, so, like, these are, like, really reputable people. And they stood up and they fought uh, the, the fuckers that were trying to, to tear this shit down. It did end up getting revised, which I'll get to in a moment. But the most interesting person that I had no idea existed was a guy named Max Rafferty, who was a state superintendent of instruction. And he, this guy, is a fucking legend in, like, the worst ways possible. And I just have to read you some of the quotes that he had because they're fucking incredible. So he said he was kind of a a mild-mannered dude, which I'll talk about in a second. But at this time in 1966, with everything riled up, he is at this point a little bit more. The war in Vietnam is is stressing him out. He's He's getting kind of crazy. He says that schools are currently offering red psychological warfare and are transforming innocent children into, quote, booted, sideburned, duck-tailed, unwashed, leather-jacketed slobs whose favorite sport is ravaging little girls and stomping polio victims to death. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. Amazing. Oh, fucking amazing. Um, and I was like, when, he, when I read that, I was like, can I see Principal Snyder saying this kind of shit? Yes. <laughs> like, to a point. Yes. To a point, I can do it. <laughs> but otherwise, uh, pretty fucking crazy. So he constantly, at this, at this time after this shit, calls teachers cake eaters. And says that college was, quote, a four-year course in sex, drugs, and treason. Amazing stuff. Um, He started out as sensible. I know, right? Exactly. (laughs) And what sucks is that, like, all these fucking, like, sort of, like, um, centrist sort of Cold War liberals who turned radical in the 1960s because of anti-war stuff. You know, he hated commie – he hated um, anti-war protesters in this era as much as he hated black people and communists. Um, So he goes off the deep end. But he started out really sensible. He was like – he he wanted he was an advocate for bilingual education for not only just like learning like Spanish people learning English but we uh, learning Spanish he really and he also wanted to emphasize native american you know peoples in the curriculum but then something like this just infects these people's brains and they become 
these like fucking shells of themselves. I mean, this person is like a totally different character from who he was before this and who he became afterwards. Um, and so then after the war started and all the shit, he ran for Senate and he was on, he was going to win, but he threatened to murder the protesters. He was like, uh, we should just kill him. Cool. And everyone's like, well, those are our kids. So maybe we shouldn't do that. And then it came out that he, he actually never served in world war two, which in that generation was huge. And so he's sitting here like pumping up the military and it wasn't, you know, like a, conscientious objector thing is he just didn't do anything and so everybody just fuck it sunk him so he never did anything but guess what he did instead of just you know going away forever he moved to alabama he spearheaded the intelligent design movement so he's a huge proponent of that Mm, uh and he worked with supreme piece of shit george wallace as his education advisor he did not get a bullet like he did in the gut um too bad and then he became the education advisor to ronald reagan and died in 1982 so this piece of shit really like had 20 years of making the world worse, and now we're kind of doing it again. But anyways, this textbook nice. was revised in 1969, and it was used across the country for about 10 years, uh, which is a pretty much the, the span of, of textbooks. And to this day, California and Texas pretty much run the textbook industry. Mm. Uh, so the fact that it lasted that long is uh, is great, and I've never read it, but it's uh, probably, I mean, it's like woefully out of date at this point. But, um, but it was a huge like change from learning that slaves were well taken care of and all this kind of bullshit that kids just one generation before we're learning so it's a huge huge thing that this happened so i'm just curious how they came across this more than likely the props department just has a bunch of old ass textbooks there's no way in 2002 a kid would be reading a 40 year old textbook oh sure yeah pretty pretty interesting huh maybe this that's for oh no he does say this is for my history test so never i was gonna say my history test (laughs) you might have two but that's pretty rare man i don't think you can have two history classes it's not college right so like Come on, what are we doing? So I think that's pretty funny. <laughs> Mike's just so counterculture, man. This is what he does for his light <laughs> he, reading. He loves going back in time and reading 40-year-old history. Although you could read right now Howard Zinn or something that's way more up-to-date for that time period, you know. But he, well, he likes the old school. I, I appreciate that. Holy shit, thanks for that, because I never would have known any of those yeah. things that you just said. I also have nothing else to say, sir. Listen, Buffy, it's hard. Kids this age, they're hurting, they're pissed off, and they say things. Sometimes they say awful things. Okay. Daniel, dear God, before you update us on the watches, I need to say something real quick. We're all a podcast. You can find us everywhere at Beat Me Pod. That's Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram. We have a website, beatmepod.wordpress.com, that contains show notes about this show. So, like, you know, uh, my Jewish whatever. I shouldn't say that. What is it called? Hang on one second. <laughs> uh, MyJewishLearning.com MyJewishLearning.com With all your fun stone on graves Facts uh, Daniel's mentioning of all that stuff About the school district thing All that thing Crazy Or the textbooks All that stuff there BeatMePod.wordpress.com Also Maybe most importantly I BeatMePod.wordpress.com Is a link to a Spotify playlist that we put together that contains all the music played in our episodes as well as all of the episodes of Buffy. Holy shit, things are falling apart. As all well as music? all the episodes. Any music that is played in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Okay. All the music that is played on If the Apocalypse Comes Beat Me. All of it that's available on Spotify is a play- on a playlist that I've created that you can find at bbpod.wordpress.com but you can also find on Spotify. What's it called? Um... Beat me hyphen fun time play la- playlist for oh, podcast oh, oh. fans season seven. It's so close to perfect. I'm gonna count it. I'm gonna so count it. Count. Beat no, me hyphen fun time playlist for podcast fans season seven. No, you said it right. You just stumbled. Oh. Yeah. You said playlist. 
<laughs> I, did say, I did say play last. So that was that was a typo for my mouth. It was a mouth typo. It was a classic mouth typo. <laughs> it was a mouth typo. Come on. Okay. Anyway, <coughs> please, Daniel, update his own watches. Oh, watches for sure. I got you here. Xander, construction outfit watch. No, but we do get a hammer and nail metaphor. Great. Maroon jacket watch uh, or Anya belt alert. No, there is no Anya. So, oh, yeah. No Anya, as we discussed, her scene was cut. R.I.P. Uh, Dawn's piercing screams. No, she's just screaming inside for Cassie. R.I.P. <laughs> to her. Chips Ahoy. I said yes. Uh, no punching Zachary Ty Bryan. Uh, not cool. Uh, clearly, he was being impacted by it. Of course. The Littlest Bad. Do we even fight vampires anymore? Yes. Buffy. Vampire by vampire. It's the only way I know what to do. And then we dispatch the old lady vampire as if they are trolling us. We, we do realize that Buffy has a personality. She likes an early night in has insomnia worries about her job performance. Thinks closed caskets are more tasteful, which I agree gives generic bullying advice to Amanda comes in hot with knowledge about the French foreign legion and some commentary on the French occupation of Algeria, which like, why, how does she know about Algeria? I don't, I don't know. Uh, did she pass her test? On Egypt in Algeria, I don't know. I, I, I mean, uh, like you can't name two bands that Buffy likes. Although that maybe that's not true. That's not accurate. We know she likes maybe Filter and Widespread she Panic. She likes John and Prine. She's got a John Prine. Fucking poster. that's right. But I, mean, I don't know. What are we doing? Name a popular television. Okay, you know what? We maybe probably know more about Buffy than we give her credit for. But the Algeria thing throws me. When did she? What? Uh, I don't know. How does she know about Algeria? How does she know about the French the French occupation of Algeria? That to me is like the worst. Um, then she has a casually racist uh, to cut to Robin, so mm-hmm. presumes that he's from the hood. Again, yep, yep. this is part of her personality, and we get this like awkward moment for SMG to like emote that she <laughs> fucked up, and that was just like oh, this is weird. Um, she also thinks it's really important to wear the tank top. To her job. Like, that I know. is I know. highly, highly that is inappropriate. definitely against dress code. Like, for the students and also for the inappropes. Come on, man. Uh, inappropes. Inappropes. Um, I thought that when Cassie was doing her speech and she said, I'd like to skate at Rockefeller Center, we would have gotten the flash to Buffy being like, Oh, ice skating. I remember I like ice That's skating. right. Her personality. She used to like ice skating. That's right. But we didn't Shit. do that. We did it for the, my cousins are going to be fat. And she's like, huh fat people like that's that's what we that's what we got we we had to get that from buffy which i guess i should add there she's identifies with that also she makes fun of blue oyster cult like what are we doing blue clam cult come on you were so close you know (laughs) you know uh so buffy huge personality day for her uh not in the best ways the hoffman watch no that's a no uh, most valuable weapon i didn't see any any cell phones in this episode so it is what it is i don't think so I don't no. think so either. Yeah. Michael, Wicket, Amy, Gothwatch, yes, Zach and company, Brad and company, whatever we want to say, Peter and company are trying to summon whoever, which feels very reptile boy, as we've already gone over. Yes. Thank you, Kelly. Uh, there are too many kids in this damn summer's house. Nope, just our fam. So we're good. Yep. By the way, is Willow okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so Don comments, she's here, but not part of the gang here, which is very sad. Uh, Willow says, as you alluded to before, I'm less worried about hitting my thumb and more worried about going all black eyed batty and bewitching the hammer into cracking my friend's skulls open like coconuts, which is not normal. And then Tara's <laughs> grave. Very, 
very sad. But then again, Willow must feel a bit better because she is getting excited to ask if she could check a child's personal confidential medical records, uh, which is <laughs> obviously is. a pastime of hers. Um, she also confides her angsty teen confides in her angsty teen poetry, and Doogie Hauser fanfic, which of course she is on the show with Doogie Hauser himself later on, right. which is amazing. Uh, Books a million. I said yes, but only slightly. Uh, Slaughterhouse Five obviously is mm-hmm. in here. But in the spirit of the watch, I say no. They poured over Manila folders, blog posts, photographs, lawyer pads, but like no books. Yeah, no demony volume texts. No, no. So just a, just one book by Kurt Vonnegut. Um, Streets ahead. I said yes. The fucking like lake that they're walking pleasantly around. Wait, uh, that that cemetery. Yeah, yeah. It was lovely. So uh, we've never seen that shit before. Well, and we can canonically add also from the (laughs) Who Is data from Cassie Newton's website, Shadow Lane. Oh, see, there you go. Shadow Lane. Of course. Yes, Shadow Lane as well, which Mm -hmm. I'll add here. And the Giles' biggest KO, as I've already alluded to before, I feel six and seven are getting philosophical and Giles did not prepare them. So (laughs) in short, everything that happens is Giles' fault and that's a KO on him. So boom. Bam. Fucking Giles. Well, thank you for that. Updating the watches. I needed it. I need it. We all need it. Uh, that also reminded me of something that I forgot to write down to yell. Uh, Buffy interrogates the coin locker boy, right? Uh, and she's like, I'm going to beat you up, basically, if you don't fucking tell me the truth. And I was like, Robin Wood, her simpatico, she, he was right. He clocked her immediately. It was like, you abuse children. I abuse children. We threaten violence at this school. That is what we do. Mm-hmm. It's just like, this is insane. You're wearing a tank top and you're threatening to beat up children. You cannot work here. <laughs> Meanwhile, Robin's like, yes, I approve. <laughs> This is what we want. This is what I want. Anyway, thank you for that. I think it's time we finally rank this sucker. Are you ready? Time is money. Money is power. Power is pizza. Pizza is knowledge. Let's go. I'm not going to. I just, I need to keep saying it forever and ever. Willow hack slash we talk about the dead slash something wicked this way comes. Absolutely. We see Cassie has a whole website and we see it a whole bunch. I don't know enough about old internet. That site's intense. It's got scrolling images. It's not just a street of HTML text, which you would think like a, you know, like a angsty blogger would just be up on LiveJournal just typing away. Mm-hmm. The thing's beautiful. She's got mm-hmm. all these images. She scanned in her fucking poetry and all that artwork. I mean, mad kudos to Rebecca Rand Kirshner for making all that art and writing all those fucking poems. Well, that's intense. Anyway, we see Cassie's website a lot and also Willow hacks into her school records and... I thought her medical records, but those were just given to Buffy or whomever for no reason. So, whatever. We use the computer. Seven. Dawn needs an adult. Not really. In fact, Buffy even goes to Dawn for help. Please spy on Cassie so I can see what the fuck's going on. She's very, very sad at the end and needs Buffy to comfort her. So, I mean, eight. I give her an eight. She mostly doesn't need an adult, but everyone gets sad sometimes. We need the other people. It happens. Monster of the Week. Is it Zachary Ty Bryant? Avilas the Demon? Congenital heart defects, existential crises. What's the bad guy here? I got to plan in on the actual monster of the week, which be, would be mostly the the one second shitty demon. The makeup was okay on Avilas. It was kind of different. We do see a really similar demon in Angel, but not so much on this show. So I'll give it a pass. And it looks good for what it is. We don't see it a lot. So I wonder how sloppy it is if you like really took a second to examine it. Do you have a still? I mean, like, yeah, being on fire is rough. <laughs> but I mean, I, I don't know. I thought the design was like good enough from just purely a special effects standpoint. Like somebody did have to be in that suit. The makeup looks good. They did enough to make it look convincing that it was a demon so fair enough but nobody kills anybody the cult doesn't kill anyone nobody really does anything two this gets a two on the backs of the special effects department alone because they had to make a fucking demon no one woman should have all that power 
So we do talk explicitly a little bit about Willow's power, right? Like the hammer analogy and all that kind of stuff. So it has to be controlled so no one gets hurt. But that's pretty obvious. Magical power seems like a pretty obvious type of power. I think the real power of the episode, as we discussed, is Buffy's inability to change Cassie's fate. And it really shook her, right? Like anytime you can get a Slayer to question what the point of it all is, that's a huge power. Like, can you imagine an enemy using that, like, tripping Buffy up into the point of, like, what are you even doing this for? Like, if Joyce had not been the one having that conversation with her in Gingerbread and somebody else had been like, this is, what are you doing? And I think that might be happen later in in the season with the first. I hope it does. So we'll see. But anyway, 10. I think that's a huge concept, a huge theme, a huge thing for Buffy to grapple with. That's a lot of power. So 10. Uh, relationship good or bad as all of her friends are together again, and that's really nice. Xander took Willow to see Tara's grave, which is very supportive, uh, and it's probably very good and healing for Willow, right? And so I think things are mostly going okay. You know, other than Cassie. She's a new friend, so she doesn't count. Six. <laughs> Episode good as or sorry. Episode specific. Look, all I'm saying is this is normal teen stuff. You join chat rooms, you write poems, you post Doogie Howser fanfic. It's normal. <laughs> Six out of ten. That gives us a total of 39, three of four for the season, above, beneath you, and below lessons. Stacia, where did you rank this episode? Um, I ranked this 24 out of 126. The love for Cassie. I know. It propelled you. I have no justification. I just love Cassie. I want more of her. Yeah, I get it. I'd watch a whole movie about her. That's how I feel about Tara. And we got multiple seasons with her, and you only got... 40, 41 minutes. I mean, Cassie just like as a character made a really huge impression on me for some reason. And when I think about characters from the show, it doesn't feel like she was only in one episode. She's really, really well written. Yeah. For a one episode character, it's kind of bonkers how much nuance they put into her because she does have that hipster counterculture thing, but she's not pretentious. Mm-hmm. And like you want to know more about her and you feel bad for her. And again, I cannot stress enough how insane it is for someone, especially so young, to know they're going to die and be chill about it. Like, wouldn't you be screaming that from the rafter? Somebody fucking help me. I'm going to die. Somebody do something. And she's just like Buffy, didn't it? She kind of tried to quit. Yes. But I mean, that's a good point. But like, it takes a huge amount of strength to do that. Buffy had a ton of preparation. That's her calling. This girl has known for a couple weeks, maybe. That she's going to die. And it's just like, I accept it. It is like to truly just hold that alone and be like, it's going to happen. And I don't, and that on top of, I don't want to burden anyone else with this, right? She doesn't tell Mike because mm-hmm. she doesn't want him to feel bad or feel weird or like he could do something about it. She didn't really want to tell Buffy. She just like, it just happened, right? That is some incredible strength and like a testament to your character. Like, well, they wrote the shit out of this girl for no reason. And it's great. I really appreciate that. Anyway, yes. I'm sorry. Continue. That was it. <laughs> 24. 24 out of, what are we at? 126. 126. Okay. What's above and below it? Oh, um, it is below Halloween and Band Candy and above Entropy and Who Are You? Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Which one's Entropy? Fuck. Oh, that's a uh, season six episode. Angel tries 19. to curse Xander. No, that's not right. Angel and Spike have sex. That can't be right. That's Anya. Anya and Spike have sex. Yep. That's entropy. Yeah. It's a season uh, seven, episode 19. Or er, 18, sorry. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, okay. Anya and Spike have sex. The trio has cameras. <laughs> Willow and Tara get back together. Oh, you know, I use um, initials and usually it works, but... <laughs> this time not so much. <laughs> or it did. Not in context, it didn't make sense. Yes. Angel and Spike. What? Anya and Spike. Yeah. So we're like 30 below the dark age. And what did you write for the, the plot? Uh, motherfucking Cassie Newton! With like four <laughs> exclamation points. That's it. That's, that. That's all you need. All right, Daniel, where did you rank this? I I love Cassie, but I don't know if that's all I I need. Um, she was great. Um, I wish that they spent more time on her. Just have like a weird bottle episode, which I her would be pretty cool. Um, I hate Zachary Ty Bryan. I hate that he's here. I not him personally. I mean, he's fine. I liked him as Brad. Why is he on the show? It just makes no sense. <laughs> it's, to me. So he really, it's so he weird. He didn't do anything. He definitely has more chops than this. He could have been yeah. a character. I just don't understand why we just like short shrifted him like what are we doing yeah. does he just need a paycheck what, what are we doing he just had like a um, break between episodes i guess yeah well the show would have been over by now right oh, oh yeah, yeah it's over by now home improvement but um i appreciate like the overlap even like with uh you know as you brought up before the the salinger stuff and also slaughterhouse five i think this episode wants you to think um you know deeper about it too and like kind of question all of those things as we've done on this episode I think that's a pretty good – I don't know if it's a red herring or not. It's it's lost on me how much any of that even ties into it except for like it just builds her personality. But I think that's pretty cool. Um, but Cassie writes the impending return is going to happen in conversation with dead people. Mm-hmm. I'm excited about that. The crypticness of her hints or the, the crypticness of the things that she says hint towards an endgame, which I know that they've you know scripted out and Joss has already written. So it's like that does make – this even more important than just the other one-offs that we've had that were definitely random and we never see them again. At least there's a, something at least a little weighty here um, with her. So I gave it a 60 out of 137. So it's <laughs> lower, but again, I'm, I don't have a lot to work with. Um, in the 80s, we take a, 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 a steep dive and I don't think it was a bad episode. I enjoyed watching it, um, even though it was a little bit slow, but this is the best I can do. 60. Um, it's way lower than everything else this season. I mean, from number six last week at the same time, same place, we've dropped a lot. But um, Cassie's such a cool character. I just don't think the episode was like necessarily that great. And that's pretty typical with Buffy, I think. They introduce great characters all the time. But 60 is a great place. Use yeah. I think if you pluck yeah. this out of nowhere to be like, oh, yeah, help. That, that, no, I mean, I yeah. agree that the story itself is pretty weak. Like we've already mentioned multiple times. It's Reptile Boy again. Mm-hmm. It's Reptile Boy again, yeah. But yes. Cassie is awesome. Like, what a breath of fresh air. I was, uh, you guys were so excited, and I just waited to see her. And then the moment I saw her, I was like, oh, my God, yes, that's right. That's why this episode is memorable. And I was like, yes, in yeah. it. So. Is there a sky? I mean, I wish she was in more stuff. She kind of dropped off the face of the planet. She was in that yeah. uh, Two Guys, a Girl in a Pizza Place, I think, which oh, had sure. Ryan Reynolds in it. Which, did you know yep. that? Yeah, it was like a two-season thing. Oh, yeah. um, and then she was in that movie that was not a zombie movie the one with Sandra Bullock 28 days um and which I fucking love and then this and that's like all I remember ever seeing her in I'm clearly I'm sure she did other stuff anyway good episode solid good episode has problems but I don't know after we've come all the way through this we're we're at the end now do either of you think that I was out of left field trying to draw out this like big theme for the season just based on the conversations we had in this one or do you think it kind of made sense in the end with you know cats and all that stuff like trying to figure out fate and like what's it all about do you think that those themes were like actually explicitly in this episode or i was just like no i think they are good good i mean clearly at the end is definitely yeah that echoes everything you were saying before so i think pulling those together was great yeah 
I mean, I know it's going on a limb when we're just like an offhand comment about like, we fight vampires, but why? Uh, okay. That's all about, almost said selfless. That's all about this episode, help. Unless, Stacia, do you have anything else to say about help? I don't. Daniel, do you have anything else to say about help? No, thanks. Okay. Well, great, because I have some wonderful news for you. We will be back to talk about selfless next time. Get ready for a musical number. Get ready for some Anya goodness. And DeHoffrin. He's going to show Get ready for smash cuts. Yes. Yes. Devastating smash cuts. So please join us next time for that. But until then, Stacia, say goodbye. Goodbye. Daniel, say goodbye. From beneath you, it devours. It's not the friendliest jingle, is it? It's no, we are a real podcast, or it's time to rank this sucker. (laughs) Hey! (laughs) Excellent. Please join us for Selfless. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye! I'd love to backpack across the country. I don't know. Fall in love. But I won't. I just never will. Willow, she's 17. She's a girl, right? Making boys crazy is like your job description. <laughs>